the Centre Steer Podcast, a podcast by, for and about Land Rover owners. Welcome to the Center Steer Podcast, podcast number 127 for October of 2023. I'm your host, John Costage. Joining me around the virtual campfire this month is Morgan and Harold. Welcome, gentlemen. Yet another wheelbase-inspired episode number. We're waiting on Dixon. Yeah, we're definitely waiting on Dixon. Don't know if where he is at the moment. I'm feeling like we need to actually skip the next episode number right to 131 since Land Rover calls the 127 the 130 or did or the 130 is actually 127 yeah right You're... but that would screw up our listeners and ourselves so we're waiting on dixon we don't know what's what's happened to dixon he was supposed to join us maybe he'll join as we record canada uh... is closed today to the internet <laughs> <laughs> Center Steer is a monthly podcast for Land Rover enthusiasts, hobbyists, and owners around the world. All of us here at Center Steer are owners enthusiasts ourselves, and we thank you for listening and engaging with us. Special thanks to our Patreon and Buy Me a Tea subscribers for their support. Patreon supporters receive bonus content, including 10 questions, which is a little quick fire, fun question and answer round that we do with uh, most of our guests, and then we post it uh, to our for our patreon listeners so check that out if you want to hear the the bonus content all of us are enthusiasts and owners but some of us actually drive our rovers well is that a little That's shot true. at the shot some of us are not uh, operators some, some of us ha have functioning <laughs> rovers which we can drive <laughs> yeah actually three quarters of us do myself not included there you, you do in theory own most of a land rover I actually, in theory, own one and a half Land Rovers right now. Ah, so another three quarters of one, and you might have enough to put one together. Uh, yes. So really, it's just down to time. Uh, yes, yeah. time, a little bit of money. Things are not getting less expensive in the Land Rover world, but also... In general. Looking, <laughs> yes, exactly, in general. It's time and geography, uh, since your Rover is not adjacent to your residence. Yes, and I'm still working on that process, trying to improve that situation, because especially this year has just obviously coming out of lockdown and everything, but finally getting to go back to events and it being the 75th, seeing everybody driving their Land Rovers, it has been very motivating to, to get back to work on that. Our guest this month is Greg Shondell of Himalaya, a restoration shop out of South Carolina. Greg is a classic Land Rover enthusiast and owner, and he'll tell us about his old goat that he found on Craigslist and about restoration activities at Himalaya. Before we talk with Greg, sort of a field report with Christian Herman, who I met at the Mid-Atlantic Rally this month, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a bit. And Christian is from Switzerland, and he's traveling the Americas. So let's get into events and event recap. Uh, I... Tended Mar this year, uh, which is Mid-Atlantic Rally in Virginia under the Rove Club. Thanks to Harold and adding the reframing. Is that the right word? Reframing the 109 and adding parabolic springs. It was a joy to drive the 109 all the way down and back. I feel like Jeff Aronson now. It was a joy to drive the 109. <laughs> we had back. this discussion about the parabolics a whole bunch of times and I'm not going to say I told you so, but I did inform you thusly. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> you were not wrong. You were not wrong. This is the one of the best improvements you can make to a leaf-sprung rover. 
typically for those who don't know, when you're driving a, a series truck, it's, it's certainly bouncy and there's a lot of vibration that comes through the steering column in your hands. And as I've said for years, I can drive probably about four hours and then there's about an hour or two after where my hands feel like they're shaking from all the vibration. There was none hey, of hey, that. You may have stopped driving, but your body had not. <laughs> yes. And there was none of that this time. I All the other things that you have when you're driving a series truck, but not to the, not the vibration certainly coming through and it tracked well, drove well. And uh, it was, that was great. Again, it was a joy. It was, it, it brought back the joy of driving a series truck. And that so. is the point of it, of course. Indeed. The event was great with the weather turned out to be fantastic for the event. And we were back at Pearl's Pond. It's the first time I'd been back to Pearl's Pond since they moved back to Pearl's Pond and the, the trails were pretty good. I got to go out on a couple trails, challenge myself enough to enjoy it with, with Mark Garcia, who's uh, in the club. Bill Fischel also went down with the club and we camped together and Bill, of course, had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't be Mar. It wouldn't, and it wouldn't be Bill. Yeah. He drove his, his series three down to the event and we took it out on the trail and it stalled and... <laughs> He thinks the emergency brake locked up, so he couldn't go into reverse. He thinks it had to do with emergency brake, and then it wouldn't go into reverse. And then so we get him going again, give him a little tug. It was locked up in in gear, and it mechanically got him into first, get him back to the campsite. And then he started to do some digging and looking and, and trying to do work. And I guess the, the pin from the shifter, is it the shifter? Dropped into the, the housing. And then he had to find a magnet to get it back out. Mm -hmm. that it's was, always something. It's always something. So he ended up flatbedding <laughs> it back because it's just, uh, yeah. I don't so, know what's the current status because I'll, I'll build after the event said that he got home and that's all. I, I haven't heard anything since. So. I think I heard he got it going again. Okay. But that's good. Mother, I have no details beyond that. So my question to you, since this is the first time back at Pearl's Pond in quite some time and it's actually under new ownership and has a different name now. Are the trails the same or are they have they cut all new trails? The trails are the ones that we're familiar with, Harold, from the before days. The good old days. The good old days. They're mostly there, the ones okay. we want. You were able to get onto the island and drive around the island. Those were all there and we did that. Before Bill's truck broke down, we did drive all around the island. It was all basically greenish type of trails. And they're not, you're not going to take a Subaru on them, but they're, they're all decent trails there. Are they Freelander friendly? Next yes. question. Actually, and what, so if you come back on the main part of the property, we did do those, some of those trails that we had done in the past. I didn't do anything, anything new that I recall from the old days, but one of the trails that did go on, I do remember driving the Freelander on. And and went I did that trail twice. It was if you remember where we camped, Harold, and actually where Linda drove the she drove the Freelander. I did end up doing that trail, which was like on the other side of where we camped from the road. And um, after doing it in the 109, you're thinking you're like, wow, I remember this being much more difficult. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And we Mark and I went out. So Mark trailered his series truck down, and we we got some good footage. He brought his drone. And we went out and did a little challenging, nothing too bad again, because I wanted to drive home, didn't want to 
didn't cause any damage. We went on a yellow trail and it had rained the day before. So it, it, but it had dried out enough by the time we got out there, but it was still slick, but not super slick. Tried to get around an obstacle and took the bypass and I got stuck and couldn't back up to get a little more run at it and get a little more juice to, because it was a right-hand turn up a 45 degree hill. And then there were some roots there. It was wide, but there were roots that you had to bounce over and then go up, I'd say about, I'd say 50 feet and then make a left-hand turn. Just couldn't make it up that grade. And Mark was able to get around me go up. And then he got, he had problems. <laughs> <laughs> winched himself up and then we went winched winch myself out of there the 88 is a little more maneuverable in those sorts of situations than the 109 <laughs> yes and mark yeah. was trailering his vehicle i remind you an, an, yes. an aircraft carrier is a bit more maneuverable than a 109 <laughs> <laughs> so it was you know, all, all all around good fun they had, had dinner as they had in the past had the raffle and the auction and under a, this nice, really nice pavilion there. It's a permanent structure and it's about the same place it was in the past. You may recall Harold with the, they put a tent up, this is about the right. same place, but this is the, the rented circus tent. So same circus, different tent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because of constraints of the ownership there, you can only get so many people on site. So it does feel like you're a little more packed in. So hopefully maybe over in time that will loosen up, but I, Hence I don't. Hence the selling out quickly. Yes. Yeah. Great. Really good time. And the weather, the, especially on the Saturday was there, went down on Friday, came back on Sunday and the weather on Saturday was just fantastic. It was warm, sunny. And as I said, the rain had happened on that Friday and it dried out enough and it was really good. And then nice to see, see a lot of people that we know in this part of the, the U.S. That, were, that had showed up and the McKegs made me breakfast on Sunday. That was nice. So it was nice to see, see the McKegs, Nancy and Mike. It's, it's nice to see Mar doing well as an event and nice to see we're going back to it. They've cut a lot of trails in addition to the existing ones. And they also do routine maintenance, keep them going. And there were you know, groups that went out and uh, cer certainly enjoyed the trails and all your usual issues, people having problems and getting stuck and getting out. And the That's the whole point of it. It just wouldn't uh, be an event like that without all these things. That's why people go. There so, would be nothing to talk about around the campfire afterwards if it went all smooth. Yeah, there'd be no <laughs> lies to tell about how easy it was. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Other upcoming events with, if Dixon was able to join the podcast in time, we'll insert that back in uh, with an update. But the upcoming events here in the next several months, certainly in North America, Uari is coming up under Old North State. Massachusetts Rover Club is having their Cape Cod series. And coming up in November is Destination Defender. Land Rover is hosting that for the second time. This is in Somerville, Texas, and it is open to all Defender owners. They're looking for, certainly looking for us classic uh, Defender owners to go. I know several people are going. Uh, I'm not able to go, but I know others are going. And it looks like that'll be a good time. That'll be in, it's like central, I think it's out of central Texas-ish. I think it's I think it's east central more towards Houston. I think it's basically it's the hot and sticky part of Texas, which is not to be confused with the hot and dry part of Texas. It's November 10th through the 12th at the Iron Horse Ranch in Somerville, Texas. And I know there nice. are discounts. I still think there are discounts through Anark and maybe some other folks if you're interested in going and 
you get this in time. I think you can get, I think it's a weekend pass for free. Now, I'm curious whether JLR consider, considers series Land Rovers to be defenders at this point. They certainly did when they were touting all those statistics about making 2 million defenders that was including series truck production. Oh, they would have had to. Yeah. Right. Yes. So I think they do, actually. At least I should say they did five years ago. But <laughs> right. I think now they actually like grudgingly admit legacy defenders as being defenders <laughs> right. as opposed to just the new ones. So that's the events coming up here in the next couple months. And we'll have a, hopefully Dixon will be able to join us next month. Give us some more expanded events. So we've put Dixon in charge of tracking events for us. And our friend and recurring character, Jeff Aronson is going to the destination defender to cover it for Rovers magazine. And in fact, I think I saw somewhere he has the promotional code for anybody in the Texas Rovers who may be listening and wants to go. And now for the news. So JLR posts higher than expected sales growth and the retail volumes exhibited growth in all regions year on year with overseas sales surging 56%. North America was up 32, Europe up 16, the UK up nine and China was up 7%. And JLR's order book remained healthy, ending the second quarter with 168,000 client orders. It's a slight reduction from 185 at the end of the first quarter and notably high margin models such as the Range Rover Sport and Defender accounted for 77% of the order book. The company also reported an improved model mix year on year with Range Rover Sports sales soaring 292%. Fender was up 74 and Discovery, Discovery was up 75% and Range Rover up 19%. I guess if you if you sell four <laughs> Discoveries versus one. Yeah. That's actually up 400%, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do the math that quickly. My apologies. If you sell uh, seven instead of four. Sales looking good. We'll talk a little more about the where the discovery sits here in a, in a few in an upcoming story. But sales at the moment, things are looking good, although there are some challenges, and we'll talk about those too in a, in a few minutes in another story. Challenges, but, but let's be honest that they have a really good problem right now, that they're selling a lot of vehicles, they're reducing their order book, but they still have a very large book of orders already. Either they're selling stuff they can't build, which is far better than the other option. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And let's talk about one of those challenges. There are 10,000 cars stuck waiting for parts. So JLR workshops are at a breaking point due to global part shortage. And the firm has exhausted its fleet of courtesy cars According to the Car Dealer magazine, about 10,000 customer cars across the UK are waiting for parts and around 5,000 are off the road at dealerships. It's believed the Range Rover Velar is one of the affected models, as is the Discovery. The problems originated in the firm's new parts facility at Mercia Park. In a statement sent to Autocar, JLR said, as we deliver our commitment to become carbon new, uh, net zero across our supply chain, products and operations by 2039, we're streamlining parts distribution from multiple locations to one global supercenter. This transition has unfortunately caused some temporary delays to the delivery of parts to our retailers. We're working closely with our distribution partner, Unipart, to quickly resolve the issue and ensure the, the service returns to normal as soon as possible. JLR anticipates that it will be another six weeks before the problems will begin to ease. 
and JLR was throwing everything, I used air quotes there, uh, resolving the problem with the UK market said to be the number one priority, it's unclear if other international markets are similar, similarly affected. So to be clear, this is about uh, service parts to repair vehicles that are already in use as opposed to what we normally hear, which is the stories of not being able to build things that they're trying to sell. This is stuff they've already sold that needs work now and they can't get parts. Yeah. And I do think this is impacting other markets because if, if you look at the discussions about the new Defender board, there are people waiting for parts for months and unable to drive their cars. And How could it not affect all the markets? Yeah. Obviously, it makes sense that they're prioritizing the UK since that's where the vast majority of their vehicles sold are aside from China. And of course the other part of it is that they've been devoting a lot of their efforts to catching up the back orders on their high end models. And from what you just described, a lot of the models waiting for parts are discoveries and evokes and, Velar. and stuff like that. Or oh sorry, Velar. Yes. It does sound like this is mostly a distribution problem, but there must be if it's a if it's a six week <laughs> backlog still that they're working on, yeah, yeah, it's not have, just part of it must be manufacturing. Yeah, it's not just a problem of getting things aligned in the logistics part of it. It's just a matter of actually producing those parts. Yeah, they, they've been cannibalizing sales of the slower selling cars for the higher margin <laughs> cars for at least two years now. This is just a continuation, I think, of that. Reminds me of the import dealer in my hometown back in the day. And when Triumph was in the end of their run of stuff, they had a TR8 there in the showroom for quite a while. And the car sat for maybe a year unsold until somebody decided he wanted it. And then it took them weeks to make it complete and runnable because they'd been cannibalizing the showroom car so much to keep stuff going through the shop. <laughs> All right, next up, CarMaker unveils 250 million pound electric vehicle test lab. JLR has unveiled a 250 million test uh, facility as part of its plans for the next generation of pure electric models. JLR uh, said the Future Energy Lab at its engineering center in Whitley, Coventry, has key innovations enabling the rapid testing of electric vehicles. The lab is developing electric drive units for JLR's electric Range Rover, Defender, Discovery, and Jaguar models. More than 200 EV engineers are already working the facility. And JLR said a further 150 roles are being created, providing a significant employment boost to the region. So that's, I think the facilities, it's 323,000 square foot facility. Nice. Yeah, you could build some stuff in that kind of space. Yeah. Good that it's in the that parts of the UK because uh, there was a, an, an article I saw that I didn't add to this just because it was like all of them were behind a paywall, but they it's believed that the electric Defender will be built in Slovakia, not in the UK. Imagine that. And it's, I like that they call it a, a, a rapid development uh, facility because that's actually something that's a big advantage with electric is the relative ease that you can swap out components and test new components or, and honestly, at this point, a lot of it is software as well, but yeah, yeah that you don't have to do quite as much mating and engineering <laughs> with, when it comes to the electric side C of things. Certainly don't have to fabricate any exhaust pipes. 
That's true. A lot less moving parts. <laughs> or recertify the emissions. Next up is where does discovery sit in the line? So this article is from... billion dollar question we've been asking for quite some time. Yes. And this was <laughs> Autocar has an article here, how Land Rover Discovery can be reborn for the EV era. So let me read some of the pertinent points, I think, from this. JLR says it needs to completely reinvent the Discovery for its fourth decade, and it's starting from a clean sheet. However, it is vying for space alongside all the other models. And, and, and Autocar says this is a significant task, as we're not surprised to hear. Uh, it was hard not to raise an eyebrow when JLR CEO uh, told Autocar in August that one of the company's four brand pillars was about to undergo a complete rethink. He said, quote, the brand equity and discovery is less today, and lots of people have lots of views on why that might be. They're interesting, but they're only interesting in they are informative about what we do next. We need a dedicated think tank to do that. I'm a great believer in deep and meaningful thinking and giving people the time to do that. And going on. JLR's UK managing director added, Discovery is an important brand and it, it has space in the market and it has a very loyal customer base. What we're going through now is understanding how we reimagine the Discovery brand. What space will it fill? Sales of the current seven-year-old Discovery, which is radically different to its predecessors, have hardly set the world alight. In the 12 months between March of 2022 and 2023, just over 12,000 units left the facility in Slovakia. By contrast, 75,000 Defenders were sold. The long slide started in 2019 when 41,000 Discoveries were sold. In 2020, the total number was just 33,600. So in a year, it mm. dropped about 7,000. That's because the new Defender is a much better disco than the disco. And I wonder, they say it has loyalty behind the brand, but it seems like that's probably mostly the LR3, LR4, Discovery 3, Discovery 4. I think you got to say it had loyalty yes that's what they Current call brand sales equity say they don't have loyalty anymore yeah that's what they call brand equity the, the point of all this is that apparently they're doing a clean sheet starting with a clean page and seeing where they go but really it's four wheels it's going to be a large suv it's going to fit what five six seven people at minimum guess what so does the Range Rover. So does the Defender. <laughs> what, what you have <laughs> Defenders like your every man kind of vehicle, and then they add stuff to it to make this uh, you know, super expensive you know, six-figure vehicle, and then they've moved Range Rover way up into the luxury status. I, I think it's really challenging for them to figure out where they're going to put this and how they're going to place it, and what are you going to do to it that makes it that different. And just bumping up the the roof line two inches or three inches to give it that little bump, that's not going to be enough. And looking at the, the spy renderings they have there, whatever you call it, it looks like they've lowered conceptual, the roof, not raised it. Yeah, it's a conceptual <laughs> rendering. I would Seriously ugly, it. in my opinion, too. The strip of photos underneath the center picture there on your screen, John, really explains a whole lot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Jerry's in charge of all design for everything. And that's just, but he's not the only one. And, but it's not just the design. It's what are you going to do with it? What capabilities, what features are you going to include in the vehicle in order to get people to buy? It? What's the audience? And that's how do you set it apart from what they already offer? Yes. That exactly. Right. So whether you have that, whether it looks like this conceptual design or not, 
it, it all comes down to what does it offer? And how can you make it different than the current offerings? And especially since they've expanded the Range Rover line so much, it, it just seems like the Velar is the direct competition with <laughs> the Discovery. Even the Range Rover Sport, to some extent, is Disco competitor. I think True. the Range Rover Sport and the Range Rover yeah. Velar compete with each other. They do. So I think there's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Range Rover's got so many different offerings that that they're losing Range Rover sales to other Range Rovers. Good luck. But on the other hand, they're selling. What do you do? And that really does make a lot of sense why they've switched to having each of the the models be its own standalone brand so that Range Rover can be a dealership competing totally amongst itself. And then they can have other dealerships for Defenders and Range Rovers. Yeah, and, just and like, like General Motors did back in the day. Yeah. Split the divisions and make them fight with each other. I su suppose one of the things they could do with the Discovery it was done with the with Jaguar is make it it's an EV-only model. But the problem there is in five or, five years or so or three years, you're going to have electric all electric versions of the Defender and the Range Rover. So you're back to the same problem. Yep. <laughs> that would have been and that right. would have been the neat thing to do. Make the discovery the all electric, but they should have done that five years ago, moving into that. Or go the other direction. Let the Range Rover and Defender go electric and let the disco be internal combustion only and be the badass division. Yeah, but then you're gonna you're gonna then definitely limit sales in certain certainly in certain markets. Yeah, maybe eventually, but yeah. There's a lot of hay to be made in the short term with a kick-ass performance model. That's why they threw the V8 in the Defender. <laughs> right. Put it in the Disco and turn it up some. It could be the Land Rover that goes to 11. I think part of what feels the strangest to me is with at this point, they're saying, okay, we have to start over from a clean slate, which is what they did with the Defender. And they obviously were successful and are well, successful with that. what they did right with the now. Disco 5. Yeah. Think about it. Really, that was a clean sheet. Styling-wise, yep. it was. Yes. But both with the Disco 5 and the Defender, the Disco 5, actually, the concept was very well received. And so immediately or pretty quickly became the actual or very close to the production Disco 5. But the Defender, their first attempt at a clean slate design was very poorly <laughs> received. So, yeah, it's absolutely. going to be interesting. Absolutely. I don't know that when the Disco 5 came out, it was well received. I disagree with you there. I think it was immediately panned. It's just by then. There, were, there was some pushback because it didn't look yeah. enough like a Disco. Well, let's add to the conversation here. Another article went on to say, if there's criticism of where JLR is today, it's that all of its cars are extremely polished to the point of lacking any visual drama. That's understandable for the Range Rover, which was born out of pure industrial design, but the Range Rover Sport has lost its edge in pursuit of modernist plush. More of today's range is perhaps too defined. Cars that are dressed very smart, casual, where some of them need to look like they are bound for the Arctic Circle, not the dress circle. Less is a bore as the old design Maxim goes. While the Defender is clearly far more expressive than its sibling models, it still leaves an, a way open for the reinvention of Discovery. Inspiration can be drawn from very high-end outdoor equipment. Serious mountaineering and yachting kit offer a wealth of design cues. I think yeah, there's I saying, with that. but how does that st still competing with Defender and Range Rover? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but there is there is a lot more that they could do that's in between the Defender 
like obviously we all have half ideas about what the defender could have been in terms of being slightly different, but yeah, there is room for it to be unique if they can make it unique. Yeah. Yes. We know that, uh, but, but right how, now it's just too how, similar. how, and, then, there, there, and that's there, what they're going to have to work real you, hard on. There is room, there is room for it to have its own individuality. If they get someone other than Jerry to design it, Jerry gets his mitts on it. It's going to look like everything else Jerry does. I think that's what this yep. was talking about, how everything has this uh, lacking of visual drama. And maybe that is it. Maybe it's a it's a rangy with some visual drama. And, and I, I dare to say you need a designer who's not British. Go Italian or, or something else. Really put some flair into it to make it stand out. Well, we'll continue to watch what happens with the disco. Hopefully uh, they figure it out soon. Otherwise, I'm in the position where it's just drop it, move on. And you're expanding the, there's supposed to be a baby defender coming. So you'll have a defender sport. And then you, you've been expanding the Range Rover line. Speaking of models going out of fashion and out of style, the 2024 Jaguar F-Type ZP edition is the end of the line. Jaguar said is the last gas powered sports car it will make. I'm going to read this whole article because it's interesting. It's just from auto blog. The Jaguar F-Type is going to leave us after the 2024 model year wraps up, but it's not saying goodbye without uh, having a final limited edition model named the F-Type ZP edition, ZP for our British listeners. The Jaguar will make uh, just 150 of these throughout the 2024 model year. Uh, YZP, Jaguar says that it's a callback to the first race winning Project ZP E-Type vehicles that were campaigned directly after that model's launch in 1961. There will be two specifications for potential owners to choose from. The first is Olten blue paint combined with a red and black interior. And the other is a crystal gray paint with a blue and black interior. Both models will have porcelain white hand-painted racing style rondelles on the doors. We'll also note that neither of the two available exterior paint options have been offered in the F-Type until now. The base car underneath all the appearance extras uh, is an F-Type R. With a 575 horsepower supercharged V8 engine, you'll be able to choose either the coupe or the convertible. And both uh, body styles get unique 20-inch forged steel with ZP etched into them, shrouding black painted calibers. You also see ZP edition branding on the fenders, sill plates, and dashboard. Plus, each vehicle will get one of 150 SV bespoke plaque on the interior. Pricing wasn't detailed by Jaguar, but if you want one, we'd suggest getting in touch with the dealer soon. There's I really like the certainly rond- going down swinging. I I like this. I really like the rondelles. I'm curious whether they'll be able to sell all of them. So I think it's good that they're like contact your dealer and get an order in. But it yeah, it needs a little something on that roundel. I mean, yes. blank like that. It just looks a little naked. That's where they should yeah. put the number. Uh, the number, yeah, the addition yeah. number, or Ooh, just yeah. a, a big-ass growler sticker. Oh, can't use those anymore, Harold. Come on, can't use those anymore. They don't, but you could. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fascinating that they had to hand-paint the rondelles. Yeah, because they're only making 150 of them. They're not going to mess with their whole paint production line. They're going to just do the door, and then and then it's pretty easy to mask off and shoot the, the circle as an after-production thing. It's it's sad that it, you know, it's got this that sticker or that that plaque that says SV bespoke one of 150. Why couldn't they put the number in there? How hard right. would that be? Oh, actually put the actual number instead of just saying one of 150. Yes, you're a good right. point. Yeah, give it like a like little with number the, with yeah. the NAS defenders. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Because the first thing, or the Callaway P38, the first thing people ask is, what's your number? Yeah. Maybe they will. Maybe this is just the prototype. I like the color scheme on it, though. Oh, good. Yes. So you'll be getting one, Harold, right? That's the last. Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm already on the list. <laughs> You've already called the dealer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up is the 2023 Range Rover Sport PHEV Motor Trends SUV of the Year review. I'll let you read the full article, but I wanted to read a couple bits of it here. As the future all-electric Range Rover's arrival draws closer, the Range Rover Sport PHEV might be the next big thing. And what a thing it is. Following the Range Rover's redesign in 2022, the Sport arrived similarly overhauled in 2023. Like its more grandiose counterpart did 12 months ago, the Range Rover Sport earns its place among the SUV of the year finalists through, though it proved to be an unexpectedly divisive inclusion. Unlike the gasoline Range Rovers we've assessed previously, this Sport model features an optional plug-in hybrid powertrain. It combines 3-liter turbocharged i6, I guess inline 6, uh, with an electric motor of authoritative acceleration. But the long 51 miles it can travel on battery power is its primary appeal. A quick-charging CCS port typically used for all electrics is another rarity among PHEVs. And there's more you can read about that article if you want to check that out. The Overall, the pros for this, according to Motor Trend, impressive powertrain, exceptional refinement, sleek and stately looks. The cons are limited EV mode operation, which they detail in the article and not actually so sporty and peculiar interior arrangements, which seems to be a kind of a Land Rover thing. So that's your Range Rover Sport PHEV. And I also like that their headline is almost epic. Almost <laughs> epic. Next in a motor trend also is the 2023 Land Rover Defender 130 SUV of the year review. Bigger is not always better. With the best color I've seen. That it, yeah, we saw that Defenders in a while. And we saw that at color at at the Jubilee. That is only four one thirties, that kind of crimson red. I think they call it claret. Claret. That was it. Yes. What is the interior match with that? Don't know. We, we'll take a look at the photos and let's we'll catch up. Because that would be awesome with a saddle tan or something. Yes, I would mm -hmm. I would agree. We'll look at that in just a moment here. The 2023 Defender 130 is a tricky one to judge. On the one hand, it's potentially improves upon a design and package we previously lauded enough to crown it as our 2021 SUV of the year in the form of the 110. The 130 is more than a foot longer than its 110 and has more room for people and stuff, stretching the existing design into a body into a new body style. The, this time around, however, the looks don't impress us as much as growing an established design makes the result simply look, well, bigger, not better, and not qu even quite big enough for all the interior space as we'd like, as we'll get into shortly. And you can read the rest of that uh, article about those details. The pros they have here are technically seats eight, stylishly rugged interior design, feels like you're driving a school bus. The cons, wobbly ride, complicated packaging, feels like you're driving a school bus. <laughs> That's what it's going to be used for. <laughs> exactly. So if you want to read more about the 130 after they've had here for a while, all oh, these interior, it's all black. Yeah, they missed out. Yeah. yeah, they screwed that one up. Unless unless it's an option maybe you can get, of course, for more money, I'm sure, if you want to have it look At that kick -ass. rate, there's a shop down the street for more money. You can get whatever you want. <laughs> I, I don't care for the the way the shifter is mounted on the thing. That's just all defenders. They're all that way. Yeah, I know. I just yeah. don't care for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it, it looks feels too, a little too Honda. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels like Toyota Prius, one of the Hondas, but also I guess 
you have to do something like that if you're going to have the option in the 90 of having the bench seat in the front and I just go, you always go old school column shift, but you could just go push button and you don't really need the lever and having it stick out of the dash like that is just weird. I wonder how many of the third seat in the front row they've actually sold because you've heard nothing about that since it came out. And Given how few actually still exist in the legacy defenders, that's like the first thing people remove. Impossible in the leg- legacy defender. <laughs> Yeah, you have to be a special person to want to sit there, or even a series truck for that matter. Moving on, Jay Leno tests Raglan's Tesla-powered Land Rover Defender. I'll read a bit of this. There's a whole video you can watch uh, of uh, Jay Leno's garage. It's about, I think, 20 minutes. It's worth checking out to hear more about it, but I'll read you what the, the text is here. Raglan, company formed by veterans whose mission is converting Land Rover Defenders to run on batteries. One of its conversions based on an original Defender featured on a latest episode of Jay Leno's Garage. Raglan's conversions feature a mix of proprietary and Tesla technology for running gear. A single motor is taken from uh, old Teslas and paired with Raglan's own gear set and inverter to suit the Defender, which retains a mechanical four-wheel drive system. The result is peak output of 600 horsepower, <laughs> 0 to 60 acceleration in about 5 seconds, according to the company. Raglan settings for throttle response have been purposely set to deliver a more linear feel, matching the original driving experience. No, no I'm sorry. If you're getting 600 horsepower, that is not matching the original driving experience. Full. But the linear acceleration is more, cool. as opposed also, to the typical electric, which is anything but linear. And, and it makes sense that they had to build their own <laughs> transfer case and gearbox. The yeah, because you ain't putting that kind of torque through a stock Drivetrain. No, that's all of them have had to do that. The vehicle also has various driving modes, including ability to switch on and off regenerative braking. The battery is an 85 kilowatt hour unit. Raglan estimates will deliver between a 150 and 200 mile range. To maintain the weight balance of the original vehicle, 75% of the battery is located under the hood and the remainder placed in the vehicle's midsection. It does support DC fast charging, in which case a full charge will require about 90 minutes. So there's your classic Defender turned into an EV. It was pretty cool. And they actually had a conversation. Jay seemed to be, seemed to like it. And it was, yeah, it was going fast. <laughs> That's why Jay likes it. Yeah, yes. Let's be fair. Jay likes to go fast in everything, which makes him the only guy in modern history to get a speeding ticket in a steam-powered vehicle. <laughs> Next up, Land Rover Ambulance, a seen on TV to be sold at auction. So this is a Land Rover ambulance from the 60s. This is in the U- obviously in the UK, which has featured in two TV series is to un- go with the Hammer in Dorset auction. Annie the Ambulance, a 67 Land Rover made by specialist coach builders Herbert Lomas, is expected to be sold between 8,000 and 10,000 pounds at the Charterhouse auction. Constructed with a wooden frame and aluminum clad body, Annie was treated to a new galvanized chassis and underwent restoration in the mid-2000s. Today, she is a rare survivor and understood to be the sole Herbert Loomis or Loma. Is it Loomis? Lomas? Do we know? Do not know. Uh, a Land Rover civilian ambulance still operational today and has been partially converted for use as a camper van. Looks a bit like a short bus. Yeah. And it, the design is somewhat similar to what I've seen of some of the UK ice cream vendor trucks yeah. built on series platform as well. I wonder if those Lomas uh, ones... We're all part of that coach building. Could be. I did check the Charter House website. I don't think it's sold because they didn't in- indicate that. So it may still be available. It was supposed to be on auction on October 5th. There doesn't seem to be an update as to whether it's sold or yeah. not. So it may still be available. 
10,000 pounds doesn't seem like a lot of money for something like that. Yeah, the last of its kind, too. That, that can well, sometimes suppress resale because where are you going to find the parts? Yeah. Gotta love the uh, bumper-mounted bell. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's like horn, too. There, there. It's either horn or lamp. It's hard to tell. Next, the Moroccan Team Camel Trophy 1997 Land Rover Discovery was up for auction. And that's pretty much all we know because I didn't see any results of whether it sold or not. But I'll give you just the first two paragraphs to explain it. The vehicle used in the annual Camel Trophy was made and customized by Land Rover. They remain rare. The Land Rover Discovery used in the Moroccan team in 97 Camel Trophy is up for sale. The 97 Camel Trophy was held in Mongolia, and in part because this was the, uh, unlike most of the previous events, it included some side events, including canoeing, bicycle competition. As a consequence, the Discovery 300 TDI special vehicle custom made for this event are well-equipped and serve as an adventure holiday vehicles. Yeah, I think that was the first time they added the kind of the lifestyle activities to the Camel Trophy. So, so does this disco yeah. come with the canoe and the bicycle? I don't think this one does. Because that would be uh, cool. Bad. Yeah. Yes. But it does have all the things that it had, it was upgraded to, including this apparently cell phone from, or maybe it's a GPS, I don't know, from... Looks like a sat phone. It's got that big antenna on the side. Yeah. So that would have been... That's cool. But I, yeah, I, I did some digging. I didn't see if it actually sold or not, so I'm not sure what happened with it. But it's a nice looking example there and certainly a cool vehicle. Yeah. Is that the Moroccan flag on the side of it? I'll say Yes. Because if it's a team Morocco, you'd think. I would say. I would say. Cool how it starts on the glass and continues across the sheet metal. Don't I, remember if that was standard for I, that event. I don't it's think been a while so. Since I watched that one. Yeah, I don't think so. That seems to be like an, a wrap, maybe added extra. I don't know. That was the era where they started doing interesting things like that. Like all oh, the lifestyle stuff. I don't stuff remember or... if they. Yeah, I don't remember if they actually had them parade with their flags like they did in previous ones or whether they just had those sorts of stickers. Next up, the Land Rover LR3 is the most underrated overlanding value. This is an article in Road and Track, and it's a fairly lengthy one, but I'm just going to read you one paragraph here that kind of, I think, sums up at least what the author, Mac Hogan, had to say. These are the things that turn a, a truck into a companion, not a toy. An LR3 is not just capable, it's built with real use in mind. It's got room to sleep in, a giant cargo area, serious hauling capacity, and a split folding tailgate. Its seats support all day endurance. Its doors are double sealed to keep out dust and water. It will break, of course, but you rarely hear stories of these things stranding people. They will not only get you there, they will make you feel secure along the way. You won't just sleep in one, You'll sleep well. I have a hard time getting past the first paragraph in that story where he talks about he caught the bug as a kid because there was a discovery too on his walk home from school. Man, I was like <laughs> way into my adulthood when I bought a D2. <laughs> How young is this guy? Wow. This is the generation where the Disco 2 is the new series. Although I think we've passed that. And I, I, I think the, the D1 LR3 is, is a, the new series. I think the D1 made a better series truck than any other disco and almost in some ways better than the series. But So I think this is a nice uh, art article to read because it does. There's been this thinking about the LR3 being disco three being a maybe more reliable and capable than people had given it originally credit for. Yeah, I think especially compared to the disco two, like it's turned out to be far more reliable and certainly still some issues with air systems and stuff like that. But overall, 
it's been more reliable than expected, especially in the older age now. And that was the point of it. It was meant to be a departure from the reliability issues of the D2, hence the goofy name. Here in the U.S. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone else, they kept a D3, Disco 3. That's because in the U.K., they were used to British electrics. <laughs> the British ex- just expect things to be wrong, and it's fine. So if you're thinking maybe about buying a, a, a used old LR3, uh, it's a good article to, to read and check out. It gives you a sense of maybe what owning it might be like, or if you want to, if you're considering one. And I know people seem to be considering, they seem to be the vehicle of choice almost anymore. They've reached that age. And it's true, because what, the first one came out in 2005? So we're coming up on... Rapidly coming up on 20 years since that's been out, since it first came out. And so they've become cheap and plentiful yeah. to a certain extent. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Although I believe the 2005 is the one, one of them to avoid, even though they're overall probably more reliable. I think there are still our specific models. Gen- generally speaking, you, you want to avoid the first production year of any new model. And speaking of the, the Disco 3, Jalopnik... <laughs> took one around the Nuremberg ring. And I think the title here says it all. Don't take your Land Rover LR3 around the Nuremberg ring. (laughs) There's a 50, almost a 15 minute video of them going around the Nuremberg ring. It's fun to watch. No one dies. There's no injuries. Nothing bad happens. The vehicle does get to, I I think it's almost a hundred miles an hour at one point, but mostly it's going about 40. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. I think they say don't take an LR3 around the ring, but I'd I'd rather drive an LR3 around the ring or a disco three than than a transit van. And that's been done. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's fun. And they, they packed everybody into this. There's seven people in this thing. Yeah. It's a party bus. (laughs) It is. Yeah. (laughs) And next in, Freelander news, as they come up, we have to have, bring you Freelander news. There is a, well, was. some of us do. <laughs> it's important, part of the podcast. There, okay, if you say so, boss. 2003 Land Rover Freelander SE3 was available on Bring a Trailer, and it sold for $10,750, which to me is way more than I would have thought. Give you a paragraph here on it. This it really kill, kills the maintenance and repair budget. Yes, there's two thousand. know the parts are unavailable it it looks like a showpiece so you buy it as a showpiece this 2003 freelander se3 remained registered to its original owner in connecticut until being acquired by the seller in 2023 it has 37,000 miles it's finished in borrego yellow over black technical fabric and is powered by a two and a half liter v6 driving all four wheels through five speed Automatic transmission equipment includes a removable rear hardtop. That's the SC3 part. Glass roof panels, along with a front brush guard, running boards, roof rails, six-spoke 17-inch alloy wheels, woven floor mats, air conditioning, a factory CD stereo, Harman Kardon sound system. This Freelander is offered in Connecticut at no reserve and manufacturer's literature, service records, two keys, clean Carfax report, and a Vermont registration in the seller's name. But it did sell. Yeah, I saw the Vermont plates and I was like, huh. <laughs> I wonder where it is, but yeah. We tried to get our friend Nick Danger, who lives in Connecticut, to go over and get that. Well, he had a an little too rich for his blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he yeah. Well, his Freelander was, in fact, exactly this. It was an SE3, but his was black. Whoever bought it, let us know. We want to know. Yeah. And, and what are they doing with it? It's a one-to-one scale die-cast collectible. <laughs> 
And next up, the Rebel Rally took place this past month in October, and a couple of cool things came out of that. First, there was, what, four Land Rovers did compete in the Rebel Rally, including friends of the podcast over at the Underpower Hour. They had They put a team in. And they competed in a, they were originally going to compete in a, in a classic Defender, but they were donated a brand new Defender 130. And they, I believe the, the legal term is loaned. Loaned, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they were loaned by JLR, a Defender 130. So they competed. Liza Barris and Jenna Fribley, they competed. They were team number 155. And they competed in a 2023 Land Rover Defender. They came in eighth overall out of, I need to scroll down to see how many total people competed. There were 55. They came in eighth. So congratulations to Liza and Jenna. We should add that they were the top placing Land Rover of the four. Excellent. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yes. Yes. And a 130, no less, too. Yeah. Nice to be in the top 10. Very nice to have the 130. I wonder how they used any of the Land Rover, the Defender's controls without accessing accidentally the <laughs> navigation system. Yeah, because as I understand it, they tape over the nav screen, which is also the screen for controlling all the other features. They have a third party that rides along and puts their hand over any that was information. There, there, that was, there you sensor, go. A sensor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's um, what the middle seat is for. There you go. Yeah, the, the middle seat <laughs> makes sense. They, they have a uh, proctor to go with you and sit in the middle and say, oh, you can't look at that. Sorry, I got to put some tape over that part. I well, mean, they how either hard, how hard would it be to go behind the dash and just unplug the antenna for the, the sat-nav? You would think, but who knows what that does to everything else in the system. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it, I'm sorry, I can't boot up. I don't have <laughs> GPS service. <laughs> yeah, it makes the air conditioning stop working and it makes the engine puke all its oil on the ground. I wonder, can you disable over-the-air updates while you're in the middle of the Rebel Rally? <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. You have a scheduled software update. You must do it now, but I'm in the middle of doing a technical challenge. I'm sure you can push that off, but still, that's funny. Actually, I wonder, I kind of wonder if since this was loaned by Land Rover, whether they had the ability to put some custom software on it that disabled the sat nav system. Good question. There we go. Over to, over you under power hour. What happened? What, what went on? And congratulations to the winning team of Lillian Macarasso and Andrea Anderson in a 2023 Rivian R1T. That's the truck version. And it's, it's uh, yes, it's the all-electric vehicle, and it came in first. And it beat a Jeep uh, Wrangler Rubicon 4XE, which is also an all-electric vehicle. Yeah, it's very interesting that the electrics did so well. I'm curious, obviously, this is very much more a driver navigation task, but very interesting to see what advantages those drivers saw. And also just personally, I, I'm disappointed that Land Rover doesn't have an all electric already. They could have taken that first place. Or at least filled out the podium, could yeah. be an all electric podium at that rate. Dude, mm -hmm. they have problems making sure that they have the sunglass holder cases available in all their trucks. Yeah, they're going to have problems getting an all-electric vehicle to the Rebel. It just feels like it should have, of all the other adventure-related events over the years, Land Rover tend to 
pushed the envelope there. And electric should have been an area that they were in long ago. Just yeah. my per, my my feeling on the topic. Oh, absolutely. But this is Land Rover's historic problem of they have limited amount of development money. Every company does, but I think Land Rover's even more affected by limited amount of money to put into development. They were just lucky to get a new Defender going. And, and to be honest, I, what resources they do have, I'd rather have them investing that in first making sure the window switches don't stop working let alone the electric drivetrain and also they're not at a point where they can buy buick's old electric drivetrain system <laughs> there you go to start using from the there 30s you go. <laughs> <laughs> we put this engine to bed because we didn't like it and didn't think it was going to work for us and we moved on sure Land rover will sell it to you absolutely you guys use it but yeah to be fair rover wasn't the only one doing that like all the rolls Royce high-end stuff was old Oldsmobile and Cadillac powertrains. So a little more on the Rivian that won. The Rivian RT1, which was nicknamed Timmy, is actually considered a bone stock, meaning nothing aside from its tires were changed on the vehicle that would affect its performance. However, the team, both of whom work for Rivian, made a number of modifications to the interior to keep them organized during the event. So Anderson is a senior mechanical engineer at Rivian. Designed a number of items that her co-workers helped bring to life, including inserts for store for secure storage on a five-gallon water jug. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to take part of the... <laughs> okay, sorry, you just interrupted me by scrolling down on the screen and showing the box van that <laughs> the Rivian is plugged into. <laughs> so... Nice that they have a mobile <laughs> recharging station. Of course. It um, says here the Rebel Rally brings competitors far from established charging stations or gas stations, for that matter. Rebel has partnered with companies like Pennzoil for gas, renewable innovations for green hydrogen. What does green hydrogen have to do with charging in an EV? Apparently, they use that to charge with a, with a truck and charge the, charge the electric vehicles. Interesting. Hmm. They got to do something uh, because they're not exactly on grid right there. They can't just plug no. into the wall. Yeah, it took, and it's not like they have a week to stop over and charge off of solar. It says here, it took years to find the right partner, build out the infrastructure, and secure the 800 kilograms of green hydrogen required for the 10-day event. Today, there are four charge points available to competitors. These charges are tailored out to spots along the course for driving team EVs. Oh, so they actually, sounds like they made a push toward, to go to the EVs and, and helped with the infrastructure. And they thought about the infrastructure instead of just, oh, we need to recharge, run down to Harbor Freight and grab some six-horse generators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is interesting that obviously this was in the bone stock competition, but they did interior customization to make it more efficient. And that's obviously something that has to happen amongst all the teams because this is so much a planning and navigation rally that being efficient in your processes is very important. Yeah, I think it's, it's more important to hear than, that aspect of it. I think it's more important than durability and absolute capability because it is a navigation event. It's not the king of hammers. And very similar to general rally racing, where it's very much down to the organization and the communication of the team members. Driver skill, obviously, but yeah, it's it's much more than that. In the Rivian article goes on to talk about the other modifications that were made and resulted in over-the-air software updates that Rivian added to, I think, all sounds like all their models, but it, that sounds like what you, 
since the team worked for Rivian, it made it a little easier. They updated Rivian's over their software update, added a gauge view, which adapts each drive mode and gives real-time information about the vehicle's battery, motor temperature, torque, steering angle, pitch roll, and tire pressure. So it sounds like they were getting feedback from the from the teams involved so they could then make changes to the vehicle, which is maybe that's what uh, Land Rover was hoping to get out of the Underpower Hour team. It would be good to hear from them to hear what customizations, if any, Land Rover did provide in the software user interface, because really that's the equivalent of adding gauge pods so that you can really monitor all the systems. And they just, that's the really only reasonable way to do that with the super modern vehicle. And we'll end the news on some, not the best news, but the Defender Service Awards uh, have, were voted on uh, up until October 4th. And we were pushing for the Allegheny Mountain Rescue Group here in Western Pennsylvania. They haven't announced the winners, but we do know that the Allegheny Mountain Rescue Group did not win their category. So it's unfortunate. Which means they'll be eligible for the bonus category next year? I believe so. I believe that to, to be the case. Not 100% sure. But the Defender Service Awards will be announced at the Destination Defender event, which will take place November 10th through the 12th at Iron Horse Ranch in Somerville, Texas. And that's when they'll announce all those winners. We just know that who we were pushing for here, Harold and I, didn't make it. So apparently we didn't vote enough. But congratulations to all the winners that did win. And that's the news for October 2023. And now welcome to the Center Steer Podcast, Christian Harriman. Christian, you're from Switzerland, and I met you at the MAR this year in Virginia. And so I wanted to get you on the program because you're traveling the world in your own Defender 110, I think it's a 1999. Can So welcome to the program first. <laughs> yes. Tell us about uh, tell us about your Defender. My Defender it's a 2.5 liter diesel TT5 from 1999. I built self this for an overlanding vehicle. I have I think it's 1000 hours works in this vehicle. I make the engine the gear, the chassis I built a kitchen, I made uh, electric, yes, and a pickup roof, yes. Wow, so you outfitted it for overlanding then. You have a kitchen, so that sounds similar to a doormobile. And you did all the work yourself. Yes. Including the pop-up roof, you did that yourself? Um, no, the frame is from a firma in, in Germany. Ober oh, okay. I, uh, only the frame. I cannot alloy welding. I can steel welding, but not alloy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've added to the kitchen. You added a pop-up to sleep in. I take it for the roof. Did you do anything mechanical, or did you upgrade the springs, or anything like that? Oh, I, yeah. The springs, the dampers, the clutch, the the cooler, the solar engine. The, yeah, I must. I must make a video from this car. It's a Swiss knife tool. <laughs> We're all jealous because it's a TD5, and we don't get TD5s here in the U.S. Next year, we get the TD5. Yeah, yeah. TD5, it's okay. It's good for travel. My, I before have a 110 V8 and uh, a lot of gasoline, and it's too old for, for traveling. Oh, you're never too old. <laughs> no, when, when you almost have parts for a V8. Here in this country, that's not a problem. V8 parts are easy yeah. to get, but... Yeah, I think so. But I, I rebuilt the V8 engine totally. 
and I must many times wait from a new crankshaft, drop shaft, yes, cylinders, carburetor. I learned many from Land Rover when I rebuilt a V8. Yeah. Any other overlanding modifications did you make to your TD5? I have good springs and very good tempers. I can change or hard or not hard. These tempers have a reservoir. When you go to, I, I am three times on the Sahara with my Land Rover. And when you drive the pest, the, the damper with hot and you must have a reservoir. And yeah, you have an, an optionally tank. You have more weight. So you can a, a longer time drive. I have this is all cost. Oh, my English. <laughs> You're doing fine. Uh, yeah. You're doing fine. The first time I go to, to, to Sahara, I have cherry cans, four or five cherry cans, and that it's not good for my backbone. And I have tank too. Yeah. yeah, those cherry cans get heavy when you have them up on the roof. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not good. Don't do it. Is the Sahara the first time you've you overlanded? What's your overlanding history? How did you get started in overlanding? Switzerland. I started in yeah. Switzerland. You must learn. You must learn. Go well, the step by step, and yeah, so I go hike, and I have a little kitchen, only the gas cooker, and yeah, and the cooler, and that's it's, it's not good. You must this must go faster. I must go well, not a tent. It's it's, it's too long, and I built a, a roof tent. You know, and then I go to Poland, Mazurski, Russian Kaliningrad. Oh wow! I I don't, I don't think uh, I've ever known anyone who's been to Kaliningrad. Yeah, this is a very it's nice, ne? Yeah. And then Italy, and then I go to Sahara three times. In 19, 19 and twenty, I go to Sahara. Yeah. And this year I go to the West Alps. It's wonderful. You can go from Switzerland to French to over over the mountain, go to the Italy, over the mountain, go to the French, and on the middle, middle, middle meer. Is that the Pyrenees? I think. Pyrenees? No, no, Pyrenees is, is um, Monaco. Monaco. Okay. When, when you see the Switzerland on the map, it go to the south over mountains. Yeah. That's all Alps, is it not? Alps, yeah, West Alps. No, no. That's right. Have you uh, been into East Europe? My 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 family background is Bulgarian and Macedonian, so I'm always curious if uh, folks have been to uh, Bulgaria or Macedonia. Post mid 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 overlanding. Nah. Yeah, I hear I hear that Croatia is wonderful to travel through. The Dalmatian coast is supposed to be spectacular and very beautiful. Yes, yeah. I think. So. Is this uh, 99 Defender? Is that your first Land Rover? Land Rover the second. My first Land Rover, it's the the V8, the 110, from 1988. And before I have two Range Rovers, uh, and you like a Defender or you like not a Defender, it's not a middle. It's, it's not an easily car. It's a diva. Yeah, you have money or you can build self. It's not a middle. It's it's not a middle. And when you build self, you must any times under the car and look and when dropped the oil it's not a problem when no more dropped the oil then i have a problem <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yes exactly yes. if it's leaking 
it's fine. If it's not leaking, then you have a problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's either leaking or it's empty. <laughs> yeah. How did you obtain your first the uh, Land Rover? Was that uh, Range Rover was the first one? What year was that? A 3.5 liter Range Rover. 3.5 liter Range from 1990, I think. So the 98, 1989. So, so it's a classic. Yeah, classic. Yes, yeah. only classic. Yeah. Yes. And that, that is a good vehicle. It's uh, yeah. And then after I buy the 3.9 liter Vogue, same the classics, but I have many, a lot of problems with electric, mixing yep. pads and oh. Lots of electrics on the Range Rovers. No, electric, it's not good. When you go in the Sahara and have many, a lot of dust, and the dust go all in, all. all. Everywhere, everywhere. Dust it, goes everywhere, yes. Electric, in the ears, in all. My, 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 dog, my dog is white, and when you go Sahara, it's not more white. It's the <laughs> same. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. yep. I'm sure you find dust in your socks and in your underwear. It gets everywhere. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And you can clean the clean the clean and uh, you find everything. <laughs> what year, this 99 Range Rover Classic that you had, did you buy that new or was it used? No, not you. No, occasion. No. Was it, this is, um, no, no. I was buy this in, in, in 2000. I okay. buy this. Gotcha. And yeah. are you a car person? Do you like cars and... Yes. Or, okay. And... How did you discover Land Rover? Why did you end up buying your first Range Rover? The first Range Rover I bought 2000. Okay. Before I have Toyota, what is this? Hilux. Eh? Oh, uh, you have Hilux. Oh, very nice. We don't that get... That's good. Yeah. Oh, but the seat, it's too... Not so high, and it's <laughs> not so lux. <laughs> yeah, the, the Hilux, it's not. It's just that. It's... It's okay for two years, but no, no. I, I have people from Defender. That's it's okay. Friends don't let friends drive Toyotas. When I go to the Sahara, you see a group from another people, and two have Land Rovers and two have Toyotas. And the Toyota people, you can sit on the fire in the evening and they say nothing. It's a good day. Yes, it's a good day. And with the Land Rover people, can say, oh, we have a problem with the crank, with, with the hull shaft. Oh, yes, we make to this. It's if any time can talk. With the Toyota man, it's not so. It's intro, introverted. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're boring, just like the vehicles they drive. <laughs> did your family have cars, or did you grow up with automobiles or going traveling in, in a vehicle? My family. I have a daughter. Oh, but it's not traveling. See, my daughter is 25 years old and have a daughter. So I'm a grandfather. Ah, congratulations. Yeah. Yes, me three. Yes, thank you. Me, me thirty-eight years. I am a grandfather. Oh, I, I, my, I am father. Mid nineteen. That's I'm early, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's not a problem. It's and and my 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 girlfriend. Oh, after the marriage, uh, travel with me. It's okay. Oh, nice. All right. So you, so the two of you travel. Did she join you in the Sahara or on into Italy or Kaliningrad? Yep. 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 Nice. Meet my dog and my girlfriend. That's it's I'm alone. That's life. Oh, but I, I have right. my dog, and it's okay. So, how did you find yourself coming to America? What was the? Did, is this part of the, is this traveling the world, and it was time to come to North America? That's it's an interesting question. Also, I will go to South America. 
that is my first priority that I will see. And you must have a container from Hamburg to Montreal and Montreal, um, Montevideo, Uruguay. Huh? It's 5,500 Swiss box. It's okay. You cannot Roro. It's not safe. Huh? South America. Okay. My flight, it's 1,000 or 1,500 Swiss box. And that is not a joke. My dog, you see my dog? It's a big dog. Huh? Yes. A big dog. 70,000 Swiss box. It's wow. not a joke. Wow. 70,000 Swiss box. And I Oh no, I shoot myself. Oh. No, that's not too. And this, this, the first offer, the second offer is 12,000 Swiss box. And I think with the ship, for, for a ship, it's too big. And only the ship who can from England to New York is the one and only ship, Queen Mary 2. All other ships, not docks. Good. Oh, but it's too big. Oh, then wow. I so think, it's too big to get on a normal transport. Yeah. Okay. No, normal transport, you know, and then I think I go to Iraq, Iron, oh, but that it's the problem with immaticulation from the cars. It's the Iron or, or, or the Iron people on the toll say, you to the, the, the cars, 20,000 Swiss francs, you gave me formal, also gave me 100,000. That it's normally when you was immaticulation. No, I make nothing, not this. Also, then I have one year. One year time for the plane to my travel, and I have many connections. And the cheapest is when I fly my dog from Frankfurt with Lufthansa cargo to Montreal. So you flew your vehicle over? No, the no, dog. No, no, the no, do- no, only the dog. The dog. The dog. And the dog. It's three thousand five hundred Swiss bucks. It's okay. It's not seventy thousand. My <laughs> yes. car is very cheap. When I can go give my key from the car, you see um, the the ferry. It's safe from Hamburg to Halifax. It's safe and two thousand five hundred Swiss bucks, and I, my flight is nine hundred Swiss bucks. Okay, then I go not from South America to North. I go from North to South. So what I'm taking away is that it's easier and cheaper to ship a Land Rover than it is to ship a dog. Yeah, oh, but the problem is the dog, it's too big from a normally airplane. And then mm. must fly with cargo. What's the price from an elephant or a horse? Yeah, oh, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, but it, it's, so it, it's, yeah, it's climatized and it's okay. My dog is my best friend. and You do what you have to do for your family sometimes. So where did you yeah, arrive yeah. in North America? You came into Montreal? Yes, I am. I started a landing in Halifax with my airplane on September 3. And I can, my, my lander over started on September 5. And Tarek, my dog, come on 15 September on Montreal. It's a long way from Halifax to Montreal, and I looked at uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. It's a lot of trees, lots of trees. Yes. And I got Quebec and whale watching. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Quebec mm-hmm. is fantastic. And yes. then I go to Overland. What's the name? Ottawa Land Rovers have anniversary for 40 years. And I go this. It's perfect. Yep, so you found yourself in Virginia, and you went to Mar, and, and you hooked up with a bunch of fellow Land Rover owners. 
this uh, event, the Land Rovers, on the website. And I talk with David Short yes. on the email. And they say, oh, no, it's 200, 200 vehicles. It's closed. <laughs> oh, but you can come, but you are an interested man. It's like, oh, thank you. That sounds like David Short. Yep, because your traveling overland gave you some uh, special consideration to attend. That was that was good. Yep, yep. So where are you I, headed to next? I go to Kentucky. I will see the <laughs> the big machine gun shoot for Rock Creek. Knock, knock Creek. Yeah, yeah. In Switzerland, we have a lot of, of, of guns, and, and I, I will not shoot. It's too high expensive. But when you you shoot a Gatling gun with four thousand. Runs per minute. I, I can change my 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 travel order. <laughs> right. <Often. laughs> yeah, I will, I will see, and I will see the very good barbecue from America. I make barbecue himself in Switzerland. I built a smoke and yeah. <laughs> Tennessee, Nashville, Knoxville. Then I go after this. It's a bit cool, huh? Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, you should get to. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. And you should get to Arches National Park. I highly recommend that part. It's that's basically north of uh, the Grand Canyon. You're going to head uh, south uh, through Mexico. Yes, I must go from the USA on December 22. Yes, and I go to Mexico, Baja, and then through Baja. Are you going to? You want to make it down to Tierra del Fuego, or is that as far south? No, no. I, I don't know. I will see. I will see. Okay. Lots of folks in, and even in Land Rovers have traveled uh, from all the way down to South America and also North back up. So that has happened. It's just the part is getting through the Darien Gap, which is the little land bridge. Yeah. That's the trouble. That's one of the troublesome spots. Yeah. Yeah. I think I built self a street, but that's the problem. It's the narcos and the, the poison insects and no, no. It's not good, but I, I have time, and the time it's the it's a treasure, huh? Right. Time it's a treasure, and I don't know I, I, when I shipping from Panama to Cartagena, it's the same price from Hamburg to Halifax. It's not a joke. Oh, but hmm. I have time. I don't know. I will sell a boat. That's why I'm here, and I look when I in Panama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there was a, a couple from. Austria, who've traveled the route that you're talking about, and I, th- I think they did ship their vehicle, or maybe they only, maybe they st- no, they got to Mexico because it was during the pandemic, and they got to Mexico and they end up stopping in Mexico for a number of months, and then had the vehicle shipped back to to Austria. Then what's the plan after you do South America? Do you plan to return to Switzerland, or are you going to go travel some other places? I don't know. That's fair. <laughs> the way it's open, I don't know. Yeah, I have yeah. friends. I have friends in Peru. I will see. And when my dog is, it's eight years old, and the, the lifetime it's ten or twelve years. And I, I have many skills and grades. And I have four. What is the name? I can help the humanitarian help health network, or work in a hospital, or I help them on the farm, and it's. it's I must have a little bit diesel and a little bit eat and, and food that, and that's it's enough. So. And you're good. Yeah. That sounds like a typical overlander, you, as long as you have uh, fuel food and yeah. for, for the vehicle and yourself. We'll work yeah. for diesel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have uh, other Land Rovers besides the, the, the 110? The V8, I for sale. 
with this money I can go to travel. No, it's, I have nothing more in Switzerland. Okay. Nothing more. I have all bait. All, all, all side, yeah. Is it fair to say you're living in your home? You're yes. driving your home. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Excellent. Since you mentioned your dog is very large and white, what breed is your dog? My my dog, it's a Great Pyrenees. Excellent. I'm sorry, Great what? Very nice. Great Pyrenees. Great Pyrenees. Oh, okay. Great Pyrenees. Yes. I see. So the type that Valdi keeps getting mistaken as. Yes, that is correct. My, my, <laughs> I have a golden retriever who is also very white and has lots of hair. and People think he's a Great Pyrenees, but he's not. Morgan used to have a, a husky that yes. was, that was yeah, also used to have a, very white. Yes, Siberian yeah. husky, and my 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 younger sister had a uh, Great Pyrenees, so very familiar with them. He must take up the entire bottom portion of the Land Rover when you are sleeping. Uh, I have a lot of. You can see what demo that it's all for my dog. The video is not on, sir. Oh, I don't know. Yes. Oh, yes. There we go. So now we're seeing, oh, yes. now we see the back of the 110. It looks that, like oh. it's almost enough room for the dog. And that's that, it. Nothing else. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I have only here. Huh? Oh, <laughs> that's oh, there he is. Yeah. Can you give us, can you give us a tour of the 110 since we have the video on now? You have, looks like yeah. you have the back yeah. and an awning. And so left hand drive. Mm-hmm. No, no navigation. And um, that's it's inreach, huh? Yeah. Inreach for satellite, for SMS or SOS. It's perfect. Oh, wonderful. You see, I have USB. Yes. Electric. And I can have the differential spare, the compressor for air. Compressor, sure. Air compressor, yes. Air compressor, you know. Mm-hmm. So, good. Um, Shellman. It's a very good seat. Oh, that does look nice. Those are definitely not original Defender seats. No, not so much. I have two batteries. The first battery, it's for start the engine and the winch. So, is, is the second battery run off the engine or is it solar powered? No, the first battery, it's from the alternator and, and I have an intellect battery system the first battery load the second battery it's only for my fridge yes good and uh. i the, the problem it's the fuel to have normally fused for the car and i make as so oh, you've cut into the seat box on the side yeah. added an additional fuse area yeah. nice looks looks neat and tidy that does i built self so little DIY fuse box there easy and easily accessible. Yeah. D- did you make it watertight? Yeah. So, water? Oh yeah. Oh there, so you have a spigot for water? Look at that. Two two tanks. Two tanks. Okay, for two clean tanks. clean drinking water. Select the first. This is a, a fridge, huh? Yep. You, you nice fridge there, sure. The, this is the air compressor. Right. And that is the air heat. The um, I can heat my vehicle. So it's an additional the, heater to, from, oh, it's a spare. Okay. So I guess when the vehicle stopped, if you, and you're sleeping at night, you could, you could yeah. heat up the inside. Yep. yep. Then it's cold. Go to the air tank. Oh, under the truck. Okay. Then, then I, when, when I must have flow. With a little compressor, you cannot make flow. Yeah, not for very long. No. 
Also, the fridge slides out on a rail. Very yeah. nice. Look at that. Well, and then you have... There's the kitchen. And there's your kitchen. You've got storage no, on those slide no, out rails. No, it's a store for the kitchen, not the kitchen. No, the kitchen. It's, uh, it's your storage. Storage, you know. Yes, and yes. Pots and pans. You've got food. Yep, that's a nope, that's nope. a nice design. I've not seen uh, anybody put it off the side of the vehicle before in the back seat and slide it out. That's that's original. My kitchen, it's here. Yeah, I'm just narrating for listeners who will be listening. You're on the side of the vehicle. You've got uh, a tray. Before I make the kitchen open, you see, I have a little bit. Huh? Oh yes, you have the the rear quarter panel. You have that. I think the Wolfs did that. They had a storage area there. Nice. Yeah, that, 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 that's over there. I will not in my car the uh, gasoline from my cooker. It's was outside. It's it's not so good for the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you yeah. yeah you put extra gasoline on the outside fuel. Right. Yeah. You don't want to breathe that stuff. It's solar engine. Okay. So you have two connectors on the outside of the vehicle for looks yeah. like electricity and. and my Land Rover stand a long time in Switzerland. I can 230 volts inside. Okay. Both the battery. You know, over. In USA, if you have 120 volt, not 200. And... We have both, but it's a special provision for the 220. The normal house current is 120. Yeah, it's a special Oh, nice. So you got a shelf Ooh, on the Ooh, they make the containers make drawers. Oh, look at that. Yeah, so you yeah open up the side where the back windows would normally be. There's a tray, and then you mm -hmm. pull out your kitchen storage, and then some of them can hook and slide these underneath the... Uh, the tray for storage. Nice. Look at that. And then you have your cooker and immediately, so, Oh, and then a little shelf comes out under from under the, the fridge. So you have uh, cutting boards and that fridge shelf pulled all the way out with the storage drawers and everything. It makes an L shaped uh, kitchen. That's full size. That's a have nice life, uh, spicy. And focus. We would call that very ergonomic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here I have my table. Okay. Oh, that's a good idea. On the back of the Defender and the floor, you have a table that slides out from under the the floor. And this is the health, health shaft, huh? You understand me? Prop oh, shaft? Oh, spare half spare, shaft. Spare drive shaft. Yeah. All health shaft for my, my dive is it's inside. So you're carrying then, spares inside the vehicle. Good job. So you see, I have all places. Hmm? Did you make all of this since you're yeah. what you're a carpenter yes. and you yes. designed it yes. very nice? I am my best friend. It's a gun build, gun builder, huh? And yeah, guns. You a lot of guns. It's okay, but and I begin start with the forging and forge, forging. It's cool, huh? Yeah. And then I forged knives for me. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. uh, and I have many tools. Yeah. And you must have, and you will build this, huh? Yeah. So where's where's the dog? The dog? Yes. Is he around? I missed him, I think, if you showed him before. Oh, there he is. Oh, yes. Oh, they're a good dog. Very <laughs> nice. Does he, I guess he enjoys traveling in the Defender? Yes. Does yes. he uh, ride up front in the passenger seat? He was trying <laughs> no, to drive no, earlier. <laughs> it's it's uh, was this, was this an awning. That's We would call that an, an awning. awning. Perfect. Does it come all the way around to the back of the vehicle? 
from the side? 270 degrees. Yeah. Nice, Please. nice, yep. yes. This is perfect, it's perfect. Yes. It's from Aerocat, it's a good one. Your uh, sand ladders there on the side yeah. of the vehicle, easy to get to. Inside, it's Land Rover parts. Tools and parts, okay, gotcha. Gotta have those. Important. And evident. Yeah. Oh, but, no, okay, um, so that's the back seat, so you open up the back door, and then that's where the your storage, you have more storage and the slide for yeah. the kitchen uh, supplies. Okay, nice. There's a solar panel. Oh, you have a solar panel in there you can pull out. Solar Excellent. panel. Then I have, you see, then I can, that it's the heating. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's your internal heating. Okay. Yeah, now, and the, I can make an invert in for, for 240 volts. Right. I can load my flex, my drill engine. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Very helpful. <laughs> Very yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a passenger seat. Let's, oh, oh you've got... Oh, this is all oh, my passions. It's uh, the dog food and, oh, and yeah. I come hike and yeah. yeah and all the important things. Yeah. And, and yeah, I like the, the use of the gull wings for the rear storage for the kitchen and then also storing the like counter space on top of the gull wing because it makes the gull wing access a little more secure as well for fire yep you have fire extinguisher yes that's it's electric yeah. and uh, oh yeah right my little drone that's it's magical antibiotic and yeah, yeah also for water and that's it's a uh, blood pressure and tourniquet and yeah, yeah oh you've got medical supplies and mm -hmm. first aid. Uh, yes, yes i have infusion and adrenaline and there uh, two too many yeah too you many. have a mobile hospital Little, a little, a little. <laughs> well, yes. you, you do have uh, the capability, so you, you being, yes. being a nurse. Better half as when you must broke, eh? yep. You certainly seem to have thought that out very well, because it's everything seems to be well positioned and placed, and everything has a has a place for it, a fit for purpose, as the British would say. Can people follow you on your journey? Do you post to a website or Facebook or Instagram? I have a YouTube channel. Ah, excellent, excellent. I, yeah, but it's a little YouTube channel. I'm most, um, I talk only in Swiss language, but I think I must talk in English. Yes. Can you email me the? Yeah, email the, it's better. The, the, oh, we'll, find it. we'll put it up on the website for our listeners who want to check you out. Yes, I'm sure that we have some listeners who would be very happy to listen to it in Swiss German. And we have <laughs> others who might want to just look at the pictures and see your truck and how you have it laid out. It's okay. And yeah. you can also use Google Translate and try to help yourself. Yeah, Google you know, Translate is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we go. We'll learn German by watching your videos. Christian, I want to thank you for talking with us today and telling us about thank your truck and telling us about your journey. And we look forward to keeping in touch with you and, and finding out where you're going. Thank you very much for, for the interview. It's, it's, it's cool. Thank you. Good travels. Thanks, Christian. Really appreciate you taking the time. It was nice. Your truck looks really cool. Thank you. Thank yeah, you've done you've done a nice job with it, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck. And we we definitely hope to hear more of your stories around the campfire later. Awesome. Bye. And now welcome to the Center Steer Podcast. Greg Shondell of Himalaya. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. 
fun to be here. Happy to have you. And so Himalaya, it's just the name, but you guys are involved in building Land Rovers and such. That's all we do. Yeah, sometimes it helps people get to the and understand what we do real quick, but we all we do is Land Rovers. So we do everything from the Defenders, 90s, 110s, 130s. We go back to the, the series vehicles, which are have a special place in my heart. So we do a lot with the 88s and 109s, primarily the 88s at this point. But yeah, so we do everything from restoration to the other end of the spectrum where we're for red run we're putting modern engines in them excellent so you feel about that we put a lot of gm engines cummins turbo diesel we work the r2.8 and really everything's built to order so it's really understanding what the client's going to use how they're going to use it and we build around that take us back how did you how'd you become a land rover nut i guess there's a slow process but my i own the business with my brother james and we didn't grow up having land rovers there was one land rover in our neighborhood a defender 90 a nas green and we'd always see it driving by. I think the owner of that probably drove it to work every day and we'd see it after school. So that was the first imprint of what a Land Rover was. We grew up ATVing in Northern New Jersey and off-roading all the time. And that was our four by four fix, if you will. We didn't have access or know of anybody with a, you know, an old school Land Rover or anything like that. You didn't watch um, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? I, I don't know. I didn't watch that, but I had, we grew up there. I had a CJ, I CJ five. I used to snow plow with, that was my first car. My grandfather, we were fortunate. My grandfather took us to Nantucket one summer when we were kids. And of course that's packed with Land Rovers. And we started seeing more of them and as kids. You don't really know what you're looking at. I guess a lot of Americans don't always know what an old Defender Land Rover is. They usually think it's an old Jeep. They, they Let me tell you, Americans still think it's a Jeep. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get that comment all the time. Nice yes, Jeep. Yeah. My, my friends us, but... do it on purpose now because they know it annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get that all the time. Started there and my brother got in a position where he could afford one, frankly. A Defender 110, he bought one from some company that was flip, importing them and flipping them and we picked it up here in Charleston and I flew in. I wasn't living here at the time and I flew in and, and picked it up with an exciting day. Of course, we barely made it home, had fuel and electrical issues, bro- broke down about halfway home, it was a 20 minute drive, had a TDI, which I love, 200 TDI. And uh, my brother's more mechanical than myself. So I come, I leave and then I come back about a month later. He's bought a brand new chassis, new bulkhead. He's converting it to left hand drive, got a, a rebuilt engine from a company in England. And uh, he's a bit excessive. He went all in. And then he gets to a point where this kind of leads into how we started him. Yeah, he gets to a point where he wants to paint the vehicle. And so maybe I can lease a small bay in a local automotive shop here in Charleston. That long story short gets into, okay, maybe we can build a couple a year, pay for the hobby. He invested a significant amount of money in parts at that point. Soon after that, he had some changes in his life and moved away from Charleston, which wasn't the greatest thing for the business. Just leveled out and we switched spots. So it came here. Stopped what I was doing elsewhere, moved to Charleston, put some energy behind the business, and we've grown a lot. We're at just we have 30 employees now. That's impressive. We have everything, all capabilities under this roof. We, the last piece was upholstery. We just brought that in-house, which is exciting. We have some really talented people here. Yeah, that's we're a doing, special art from every all the car shows I've ever seen doing upholstery. is It's, it's a special skill set. Yeah, absolutely. It was it, and Zach, who we have on board here, we... He, he did work for us, but convincing him to come on board, because I knew once we have him here, and if you're around these Land Rovers and how difficult they are to work with and all the, they might look the same, but they're all different. But even like a series, for example, the last 88, which I'm really proud of, 
we did some amazing things with the door cards and some of the interior trim and we've made our own foam for the seats to find a bit more leg room and you know, try to evolve the product. But my personal passion for Land Rovers is the old school stuff. I like things with a story. I like, I, I, I overuse the word patina probably, but everything that I personally own is pretty beat up and tells a story. And I like that. So what was the first Land Rover you personally owned? Was it that uh, D110 that you, you and your brother started with? That was his, so I didn't get to uh. put my name on that one. <laughs> okay. I'm the youngest of three, so we have another brother in New Jersey. So I was just a fan at that point. Believe it on my disco, I have a 94 disco, which I love. I daily drive that car. That was my first, the Discovery growing up was always a neat car. It was one of one of those. So I got one I found was a manual transmission. I bought that. That is a manual. That's a rare, that's a rare breed here in North America. Yeah. Well, 94 and 95 only. Yeah, I think it's a 94. Soon after that, on Craigslist of all places, I found an ad at probably 11 p.m. at night. I, I just, I love scouring the internet for the, is what probably you guys do too, scouring for that, that deal that's out there. And it was no picture. There was nothing. It just said 1951 Series 1 Land Rover. Whoa. And I just, there was no phone number or anything like that. And I just emailed. I said, if it is what it is, I'll buy it. I don't care what condition. <laughs> Price was right. So I bought that vehicle and it was sitting in the desert of Nevada for, I think, it, since the 80s, I think was the last registration on it. All complete. Of course, all the plastic and vinyl was completely gone. But the, the patina of the body was really straight. There's no rust. The desert vehicles. So you can imagine it was really clean. Engine had compression, the whole thing. Save uh, a ton of money on sandblasting because the weather takes care of that for you. Uh, yeah, the suit's gone. Anything plastic or vinyl is completely disintegrated. It's a beautiful truck. It's probably six different colors of green. I think it's perfect. So that's that was my, I would say that vintage Land Rover. Do you know how long it had been sitting? No, but a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's all. It was last registration, I think it was 82. And were you able to do any more research on its history? I did. I got the heritage certificate. It was sold in, in Los Angeles in 1951, July which I find interesting. Who bought that car in July of 1951? There wasn't that many. There was, there was a lot of them, but not. And, and Los Angeles might have been someone famous. Cool, right? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, that that's a special car. That's, as Gary Seinfeld would say, that's the dead man's car, meaning that I'm never going to sell that car. I think that'll be passed on. Hopefully, Have you named it? Yeah, I did name it. My my grandfather drove a, he was a cavalry officer in, the, in World War II. My dad has a photo of him leaning against a Jeep Willys. There's some correlation with the Jeep, right? That's where the initial inspiration for Land Rover came. And on his Willys, there's a photo of him in France leaning against his truck, and it says, it stenciled the old goat. So my, my, my series is the old goat, nice. in honor of my grandfather. So. Excellent. You'll have to go and tell me what the serial number is at some point in time, because we also collect serial numbers to s determine the survival rate. I realize it's a bit of a tangent, but I can tell you right now that 20.3% of Series 1s imported into North America still survive in some form. And yours would be another one that we've now know exists. What's interesting is I think I, you know, it must have been your fact, because I researched that recently. I was I wanted to understand how many were produced in 48, you know, every year. And it's all there. I, I saw that survival rate and I was like, that is unbelievable. That in is. a day and age where we can throw cars out, you know, after four or five years now, it seems. That's an unbelievable stat. Yes, mine is one of them. I'll give you the number. But it's a it's a 51. It's got the 1.6 liter engine. The only thing I'm going to do nice, I'm going to have our upholstery team do a really nice leather, like distressed leather interior. 
and everything else will be original and it'll basically be a golf cart here in Charleston. So yeah, how yeah. often do you drive <laughs> how often do you drive it? So that one's in it's being so we pulled the engine out. The guys, mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of time to work on my cars here, which is a good problem to have. That's the, not complaining. Yes. That's the <laughs> what is that, the mechanics curse, right? Yeah, and I'm and listen, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not a mechanic. We're surrounded by very skilled people. So I'm asking them in their spare time to work on my my trucks, which they all have different opinions on. They're not all of they don't all have the same taste that I do, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they the guys were nice enough to pull it out. They did all re, all new gaskets, rebuilt the engine to some degree, and then they put it back in. They even asked me halfway through when they had it out, do you want me to wash it? And I said, please don't wash it. Just put it right back in. That, all that grease is rust protecting. I'm going to keep that on there. But no, I, today's a special week because potentially, I haven't even, that truck I haven't even run, ran. So that truck, we've been so busy over the last few years building this business. Uh, I've got two daughters now. It's been a busy few years. So that truck has been sitting in the corner of our shop for a few years now, collecting dust. So we didn't this, encourage you to get it ready for the Diamond Jubilee. No, but maybe, maybe <laughs> but it will be. I'm confident we're looking at starting that thing potentially by, I don't want to get over overly ambitious by by Friday. Oh, and nice. Then, uh, brakes and all that stuff, drivetrain stuff's been done. But in lieu of all, I've mixed in a lot of 88s to fill that void for me. So I've had a handful of the, the old series ones for me. I like the 60s for whatever reason. I like old vintage Triumphs and DSAs. And then I've got a BSA in my office and I've got three at home. So I like, I don't, for whatever reason, I gravitate to the 1960s. So I like the series twos, the series two A's. I think those, that gauge bezel, in my opinion, is the most iconic dash in automotive. I've got a bunch of those in my office, just that dash piece. You don't have a series um, two as your desk? No, it's funny. <laughs> my uh, production manager's son in England builds those. We were just over there and it was tempting. His price tag was a little steep in my opinion, but they're pretty cool. I do have behind me, you'll probably see... My wall. I see you have a couple of breakfasts in behind, in behind you, which seems to be the North American term for the the radiator support panel. So the fifty one series one that you've had that. Did you? What do you have after that one? So I've gotten current. I'll just give you the current status because sometimes it is overwhelming. Now this this a, actually is a good problem to have. The old you can't have just one. You get your first and. Yes. The yes. problem is when you have a facility as large as we do, you can always stuff one in the corner somewhere. Good point. Like a motorcycle in 88 is not that big. Uh, you, you'll get so this one I, for parts for a customer might need it down the road, right? Hey, I need those, those Lucas wiper motors are worth, I had to buy it. So I've got a 51, of course, I just mentioned that. I've got a 61 that's running. It's a really nice, again, my opinion, it's a very nice truck. Looks like it maybe threw a sack of rocks at it, but I've got a 71 late to... 2A rather, with the lights on the outside, the metal grill. I don't know how you guys, what your stance is on Santana's, but I just have been driving a 1980 Santana 80-inch and enjoying that one for, for the summer here in Charleston, no top. That truck's been a lot of fun. That sounds Yeah, they're wonderful. okay until you have to find parts. Santana 80-inch? So Santana 80. 88, 80. okay. Yeah. Yeah, the 1980, so towards the end of Santana, but fun as a diesel it was the right color blue with white wheels. It's a fun summer truck for me and my wife to have some fun in. My predicament now is how do you put a three-year-old in a 1960s Series 88? <laughs> if you guys have ideas, I'm open to it. Lots sort of bubble of. wrap? 
<laughs> what I would do, and I suggested this for another, for one of my customers who has had that same question, what I would do is get a car seat, make some brackets, bolt it down to a sheet of plywood, and then pin that plywood down in the cargo area. Put them in the back. Yeah. I like where your head's at. What, a, um, what about adding an extra roll cage just for rollover protection? I realize that breaks the uh, look, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it just does. Just put a helmet on the kid. It'll be fine. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Get a military roll bar off of a 109. Yeah. Okay, these are all good options. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about a forward-facing bench seat in the back and some securing yeah. them somehow. Or, yeah. Like I said, with a, it depends on the age of the kid, but if it's if it requires a car seat, just make a platform that, with the car seat on it that just fits in the back. That's a good idea. Yeah. That is my for my use case now. I'm not going to be... We're so busy with the, the two young kids. I don't have, I'm not off-roading adventures every weekend. It's a lot of family time, which is amazing. And I love it. But the idea of going maybe to, to breakfast with my daughters in, in the series, it's a, it's a romantic idea. So I'm hopeful to, to well, do that. Right now, we just go for that. You have to convert them early. So you got to get them involved early in Land Rover world. So they grow up with it. Three weeks ago, you guys, I get lots happening in my life. Three weeks ago, my daughter's three and a half, took an 88 out. And I taught her the basics of shifting. Nice. So push it forward, pull it back. So she There you shifted. go. Yeah, so she's balling her way, really. We commend you. That's good. You also have uh, a disco. Do you have uh, other, we'll call them a modern rovers in the fleet? The most modern I go is a 2006 Range Rover, which is a lot of car for what they sell for. That's plenty modern. Yeah, that's pretty modern right there. It, it's a lot of car for their value they just they just plummet so much but that's been a great car too the one i bought needed a water pump and that was about it and the ac blows great and it's just a really nice car. So the reality of my life is when i'm a lot of times i'm road testing cars or we're building probably 20 vehicles at a time on average and we'd like to get thousand to fifteen hundred miles on the car so i have the the burden of having to drive these cars <laughs> <laughs> tough job but somebody's got to do it You've got to do it, but we are looking at it is different because you're like, you're in the car, you're trying to put yourself in the client's shoes and make, you know, find the problems and then come in the next day with a list of problems for the team to, to get off the checklist. And you're always a bear of bad news to some degree. We want to sort out the problems before it gets to the client. That's the goal. What is your daily then? You, I think it was the, was it the disco was your daily? Do you have a daily? I rotate depending on kind of the mood, but the Disco and the, and the Range Rover are probably you know, the primary. I have about a 25-minute commute on the highway. So the Disco or that or the Range are, are a good option. If I'm feeling brave, like this past weekend, I took the 88 up to the shop on a weekend. But we've got a lot of tractor-trailer traffic with the ports here. Monday morning, it's a little, little squirrely with 18-wheelers passing you. Well, you are the but, rare person who doesn't have a non-Land Rover as their daily. <laughs> yeah, it's not strategic in any way. I genuinely like all of these cars. I think the, the third generation, the Range Rover, I think it's a great-looking car. Probably the most comfortable car I've, I've personally owned. I mean, it's just, it's been very reliable despite, I know there's you know, problems out there, but... Fix the water pump, charge the AC, and that car has been phenomenal for me. The And the, the Disco, the same. The AC doesn't work in that car, so it's more of a winter car because Charleston gets pretty hot. You're not going to come to our shop and see them have, with my Disco on the lift. It's just not going to happen. Have you ever owned a non-Rover product? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have. I, just don't <laughs> I like how you feel. I'm the, sure The I fact have. that he has to think about <laughs> it know. is a good sign. In <laughs> uh, a while. It's okay. It's okay. I can't say that I have interest in owning anything else. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't really get excited about modern cars. It's not 
to me, they're just cars. Even the new Defender is a great SUV and, and great car. Land Rover makes nice cars. They're comfortable and all that. But if I'm really, if it's my passion, if I have the funds to get another car, I'm, I don't see myself, I don't get all that excited. I like the safety features of a modern car for my wife to drive. And she drives a, a Toyota 4Runner, which she loves. For me, I, I like driving cars that I get excited about. I think the I think the, the disco ones are some of the, the nicest looking vehicles. I really do get excited about them. I think at some point we'll start, we'll probably see a demand for people wanting to restore them and put LS3s in them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be a really fun vehicle. Once the supply of non-rusty ones starts to really thin out, people will put money into them. Yeah. All Land Rover for me. So personally. That's wonderful. That's actually why you're on the podcast, actually. <laughs> Because <laughs> all Land Rovers all the time. So what kind of ad adventures and activities do you do with your trucks? Do you go to rallies? Are you uh, doing local Charleston events, taking your kids out, going camping, any of those activities? So the last few years, like I said, have been you know, a bit busy. We've had so much growth with the business. That's been pretty much seven days a week and commitment to a lot of great committed orders. So we're focused on that. And then mix in raising too young. We got a nine month old and a three and a half year old. So that's been busy. I think Stella's starting to get the age. We can maybe do some camping, but for us, we take the Land Rover. I bring them home. I'll throw the car seats in the back. We'll do some road testing. So most of our clients, we got one tens and things like that. I'll throw car seats in the back. We'll do some road testing with the kids. So it gives the clients some confidence. I'm putting my children in there, but that's our adventure these days. This feels like these days, these weeks just fly by, but we are, as Himalaya, now that we're we've grown a lot, our production we put the right people in place. We're we're able to think a little more strategically. We're doing a, we're going to do an event, a Land Rover event here in Charleston in December. We're finalizing the date on that, but a big meetup. We're doing more service work. We've ramped that up, which has been fun. Keeping old Land Rovers on the road is is exciting for me, and we've got the right team in place to do that professionally. So typically, we have twenty builds on the floor. Then every week, we might have three service jobs per se. So we'll handpick them. Everything from heavy service suspension brakes all that to we, we're really efficient at chassis swaps so we've done quite a few of those we're just keeping old land rovers on the road although we build custom ones we are pretty we are passionate about that so we're going to do a, a big event here in charleston there's a big community down here not just charleston but the you know, general low country area so that'll be a lot of fun and then i was just in england for the old peterborough show i'm forgetting the name specifically but it was back in september so I flew over there. We have a facility in England from a supply perspective. I have a need to go over there, but we flew over. I went with our production manager, Rob Howard, and we went to the show and then we met with suppliers for two weeks. So that was a good trip. Is there a club in South Carolina? There's low country rovers and That's things like country. that. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of them. And obviously a lot of them come into the port of Charleston. Pretty much any day you're going to see land rovers coming through that port, but uh, there's a lot. There's some other builders here. There's It's a great town to have it. You can really drive a, you could drive an 88 without a top pretty much year round down here, which is nice. There you go. Yeah. Are you part of any of the active in any of those clubs, the low country land rover club? No, the club that I participated in just frankly for parts has been the series one club which has been phenomenal. They, anytime you need that weird series one part and where do I get it? And that's even to our guys, cause we don't deal on that so much. That was been a challenge, but you know, really, like I said, I'm at the point now, I think I have all the parts. That's the only one I've been back to then. We're going to do, our goal is to do a quarterly Himalaya automotive club meetup. And, and that might expand outside of Land Rovers a little bit, maybe some vintage four by fours and other sorts. We're not completely biased, but uh, yeah, I want to start having more fun with the community and, 
which would be great for the service end of it, connect with the people as, you know, keep them on the road. Cause I know a lot of people don't buy old Land Rovers cause they don't know where to service them. Right. Find out we're here and we've got, a, we have a full team where it's a, I'm not running the business and also in the shop working on the truck. We've got some really talented people out there so we can get service jobs in and out efficiently. As you were talking about, you've done a number of different builds. Any stand out for you that, that you guys have done that were interesting or different or maybe unique? You have a wonderful page of all the builds you've done in there's And I don't know, they're just fantastic. And I wonder if any stand out yeah. to you. They do. I mean, partially because of my general interest in the series vehicles. I'm really proud of what we've done with the 88. I mean, I think if I mean, you guys, I'm sure, have driven 88s or old series vehicles, hard to argue they're not more than tractors to some degree. And they're great for off-roading and in the use case that they were designed for. But some of the, you know, the vehicles we're building are, are very usable in the modern context. There's a black one. Uh, we just finished a black 88 up, gloss black, really beautiful interior and the way we're approaching it, at least on the top end of what we do, we put it on a custom coil chassis. We put larger axles on it, basically put essentially de- defender axles, disc brakes all the way around. We add power steering, of course, none of which they had. And then we fit it with a GM engine. For us, a lot of times we're, for our clients, we're thinking about drivability, of, of course, but serviceability is a big one. I think I have what, four Land Rovers right now couple of which are there one always there's a couple that aren't always running right and then the well, that's why you have multiple it. because one should right. be running out of that so at least you have enough parts to keep one running right. we're trying we're serving and a lot of times we're serving a client that maybe doesn't want to become a mechanic kind of thing and the way we look at it me and my brother look at it the more people driving vintage land rovers in any capacity is is a good thing so we're taking some old scrappy ones with rotted chassis and bulkheads that are gone and, and bringing them back to life, which I, I get excited about. So really fun vehicles. We have some clients that daily drive those. We have some clients that just use them for fun vehicles, but that's a car that you, know, you can cruise on a modern highway and without even thinking about it. And, and then the exhaust is built the right way where it's quiet and comfortable. And you've got an audio package that's hidden inside of a custom center console that Nick and our electrical team designed. You don't see any modern technology, which is the way it needs to be. You're not going to get in there and feel like you have some touch screen with CarPlay. It's just not, it's not allowed in a series here. If you're thinking about it, (laughs) you might want to listen to some music through your smartphone and and, and have some USB charging and hide all of those things. So the guys have done a really great job with that. The the black one on our site there, that was the, the most recent one. I'm very proud of. We just shipped it out last week. And sometimes it stings when cars leave. And that, that one in particular, I'd love to. It'd be nice if it stayed around a little longer. But we're doing, we do a little everything. You'll see in our, on our website or, or that portal that I sent you, we do everything from the Defender 90s, the 110s, the 130s. We do some hair, some classic looking ones, and then some tactical looking ones. And, and really, that's the client's personality coming out. Mm-hmm. And we like that part of it because it is a fun experience for our clients to come with an idea. And maybe they've never owned a vintage Land Rover, right? And they've seen them, they've admired them from afar. They love the story like we all do of Land Rover and what they've developed. But you get to design this thing with some unbelievably talented people that we have here. And uh, the end result is this hand-built car that's designed around what you're doing. So it's really exciting thing. So there's probably something for everybody in that folder you're looking at. I was going to bring up Bar Harbor. Is uh, This is a, looks like a Series 2, is that 2A? That's a looks like an with an alpine roof, and it's got bird crap still on it from the looks of it, or algae. So, so we're doing some builds. You might call them derelicts, or people have different names for them. But as, sure. as we talked about earlier, I love. It. So we've done a few where we're retaining the original body, which is a ton of fun. 
keeping all of that story of that body together, replacing everything structurally. Of course, the chassis is probably gone in that scenario. If the bulkhead is, if we can work with it, we will. Otherwise, there's some you know tricks to make it all look nice for us. But that's one that's going to be a patina build. We just brought shipped another one up to the out east on Long Island for a client. The one we did this past summer had the original sand color, just the aluminum wearing through. In my opinion, that's art. You can't, you couldn't pay us enough money to replicate that, right? In, in a in an authentic way. Those I'm really excited about. We've got a few in the pipeline for this upcoming year, a 109 and a couple of 88s. It's interesting because the 88s aren't, the series vehicles aren't the demand when you think about the Defender market or the Landover market here in the yeah. U.S. Everyone wants 110s. And there's, of course, a bunch of builders that build them. And 90% of your phone calls are going to be, hey, can you build me a 110 with a modern engine? And we can do that. And we love it. And there's, they're very useful vehicles. There's no other vehicle you can put you know, nine people in if you really wanted to. But from a driver's perspective, the series, the way we're building them with that GM engine, although it sounds crazy on paper, is such a fun vehicle to drive. The first time I drove it was I pulled down this road where we where our shop is. We're on a dead end. And uh, I got the chills just driving this vehicle. It was just so <laughs> raw. I imagine it's like driving a, a vintage Porsche or some degree, just the you feel everything. It's just it's you have all the power in the world that you want, but it's not out of control. It feels very natural on that, that drivetrain. You, you keep it manual steering or do you you don't add any power steering, I hope. We do add power steering. Oh, okay. Are you engineering that in-house or are you buying a kit? Uh, no, we're doing it in-house. Our production manager, Rob Howard, he ran a, a restoration and customization shop in, in England for really 35 years under his own name. But he's, he's, his father worked for the factory and his grandfather worked at the factory. So we brought Rob over here. He shut his business down and came over and joined us here in Charleston, which was a massive addition so he's been doing everything from the, the the pure restoration side of series vehicles and then upgrades, whether it be a, a TDI conversion, which are really popular. We're doing some of those. We'll put those in 88s, but adding power steering and adding, of course, disc brakes and some of those things. But you forget how important power steering is. Can you grab your morning? <laughs> <laughs> We've all driven series trucks. Yes, we are well yeah. aware. I get spoiled because I drive ones with power steering and I get my coffee in the morning. I'm driving comfortably with one hand. And then I'll, I'll be like, why don't I just go grab my 88 and I'll grab my coffee and spill it all over myself. And there's a time and place for a, a stock series. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But there's a time and place for one. I think you guys would all agree if you got behind the wheel. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is. Yeah. And there, there is that need to keep up and, and make it a little safer, especially here in North America when you get on to highways. The last time I went out in my series truck, I purposely avoided the highways, which is still fun ride, but I didn't want to deal with trucks and cars flying that don't pay attention to what's ahead of them. Interstates are way too fast for series vehicles. Yes. In their stock form nowadays. So this, you're asking for trouble. Unfortunately, I agree. And at daytime, let alone at night, which even worse, or it starts to rain. We're okay. also doing some other interesting ones for those that like we have a skunk works program in here where we'll do one kind of crazy one off build. And right now we're working on a, a Parenti six by six. Um, oh, do tell more. Yeah. So we had a single cab flatbed Parenti. We've had it here for a while. We always had aspirations to do something fun with it. And we had a client that came along and really nice guy. He owns a 
high-end catering business in the New York, New Jersey area, a great chef. And he does these amazing food experiences where he shows up and he's got wood-burning stoves. And currently he does it with a Defender 90 and a 110. And he had the, the vision to say, why don't we take that six by six and reimagine it for something more modern. We stripped it down. We demilitarized it, if you will. It's Keswick green, so it's still a Land Rover color. It's got a wolf wheel, so it's a classic aesthetic from an outside. But of course, the interior is this beautiful bison leather with cashmere and some technology. He opted for a, a supercharged LS3, which is an 830 horsepower engine. We Excuse me? Yeah. 800 horsepower? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, they squeezed every inch out of that one. But, what, uh, what are you doing for transmission and transfer case on that? Because I guarantee you the LT95A is not going to handle 800 horsepower. Yeah, we were on the same thought there. So we, we worked with a company out west, and I'm, uh, forgive me, I'm forgetting their name, but they did, they built a custom transfer case for us. So it'll stay a proper 6x6, six six, six, which we're excited about. We're not going to do the floating rear axle or anything like that. And that truck will probably be... We'll be driving that truck road testing throughout November. So it'll be exciting. That truck will be coming out before the end of the year. Did all the aesthetic stuff to it. We're doing a matching trailer. He's going to do some towing with it. And that'll be a really fun project completely outside of our, our normal production. And really the only thing defender on that to some degree is the doors. Like the cab is completely different. The chassis is completely different. Uh, we didn't convert it to left-hand drive for him in this process, but yeah, we'll save the right client, the right idea. We want to do some of that fun, creative stuff as well. You do everything now in-house and does that include paint and, and upholstery, mechanical body work? Is that all covered by your shop? Everything's now? done here. Yeah. So we moved to this facility about two years ago now. Uh, it's 18,000 square feet of indoor space. And we've got a, in, like any good Land Rover builder. We've got, probably, I think, the coolest junkyard in North America. If you guys ever have the opportunity, love to have you. Yep. We've got a lot of landovers here outside and we, we utilize every part we can. And the ones we don't use, we save. So engines and stuff that we're not using, I, I'll be in the, I'll be the first one in the dumpster saying we can't throw that out because somebody will need it. Right. Rob will make fun of me. If he was here, he, he would make fun of me for that because he would say, just throw it in the skip as they do in England. But yeah, we do everything in house, which has been a game changer. We got a state of the art paint booth and a phenomenal painter. Our electrical team is, is top notch. They're certainly not Land Rover electricians, nothing against that, but they are, that's probably the biggest departure from Land Rover we, we do. If you guys open the seat box in our truck, it's a bit of a work of art. Devin, who mainly wires most of our trucks, and Nick, who runs the team, they're adding fuses and relays. We're labeling every wire. We're, we're beefing up marine-grade connectors, and, and we're doing stuff for future service in mind. Service ability is really first and foremost when we think about our products. Clients are limited on time and we want to save them as much time as possible and let them enjoy their Land Rover, make sure it's ready to go when, they, when, they, when they're able to use it with their family. And, and so doing all that upfront work, you're not going to open our dash or any of our trucks and see a bird's nest. I can guarantee it. So I'm really proud of that. Not that it, not that everything, when you go on Instagram, you're not going to see our electrical systems, but yeah, it's really impressive. And what's great about these guys is they're every time we do one, they think of 10 different things that they can do better on the next. Even when thinking about my series one, the only thing I'm willing to not be stock would be the electrical system. I'm open to Devin saying <laughs> I can improve this. Like that doesn't bother me. It certainly it couldn't make it worse. Yeah, you, you, sure you could. You could go to negative earth. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun place to come if you like the product. Do you own fabrication also? Are you fabricating any parts or things that uh, you can't source? 
Yeah, we do. We do a lot of custom parts. We do custom bumpers for the Defenders. We do custom rock sliders that house our power folding board, which we do on a lot of the modern Defender builds. We make our own door handles for the Defenders. When we do a series build, or really all of our builds, we're going to reskin the entire exterior of the truck for a full build. There's a couple companies we work with in England producing the panels. Sticking with aluminum? Yeah. Okay. Of course, yeah. Just checking. (laughs) <laughs> Typically a new bot, new shells, and then new bulkheads for the most part. More, be are- more technical, more of a curiosity. So you're going to do a series vehicle. Are you going to keep them as a generic 2A, for example? Not to go be too anorak, but series 2s, for example, are different from 2As. I doubt, do you actually get into series 1s then? I would, Even though the know, demand I- is not there. I think you got hopefully getting to know me a little bit. If you call, if you were a client and called with and said, let's do a series one, I would jump at the opportunity. I have two fifty sevens here that I was, I pulled off a property. There's not a lot left of them, but I'm saving them for the right client. I think there's a, I think there's an interesting story to be done there, whether it's with a modern engine or a restoration or even an EV build, I think would be fun. But yeah, I think the series ones I'd love to get into. I just, I, I think the simplicity of that car is, and the way the doors come off, for example, I think that's the coolest thing. Bring it over and pop it off. That's just a fun little feature. But I'd like to see a business where we're doing a lot more series vehicles, whether it's a one or a three, whatever, everything in between, and, and building them so that they're more drivable for people at every level. When we have that conversation, it's understanding what what does the client want to do with it, listening to how they drive, what are their expectations. We have the capability to do a concourse level restoration if someone wants to do that. I'll say that's not necessarily the demand. People want something more usable, but yeah. I, I, think I don't think those are as fun to make either. I think it's more fun to do things a little custom. Yeah. And our team is positioned for that. If you look at the group of guys we have here, we have Rob, who's from England. He's been restoring him forever. We've got Ben, who's been one of his, his lead mechanics for 12 years plus in England. So we've got a lot of the pure knowledge, land over knowledge amongst other people. But a lot of the people we've brought to the table in, in this company have never seen Land Rover's vintage ones prior to this. Our electrical team's never seen one. Or They're not missing anything there. <laughs> yeah. All right. they, Rob, yeah, it's funny because Rob wires the Land Rover as they are wired, right? He's an old school Land Rover mechanic. And Rob and Nick always have a bit of a back and forth because Nick has different standards for and Rob will say, no, that's how they're done. Just do it that way. And so that banter is always fun to watch. It'd be a fly on the wall for that conversation. But yeah, people are always blown away that we're building custom Land Rovers with modern engines in Charleston, South Carolina. People always assume we're in California or something like that. We've got our mechanics and our team in general. The biggest kind of thing that I look for when hiring is problem solvers. And I'm not to over-dramatize what we do in any way. So this is, in my opinion, is one way to get drive the point of what the people we have, they're the special operations of automotive to some degree, right? These are free thinkers, they're problem solvers. They don't have a playbook. They got to think on the fly. And so that's, those are the people that are really successful here because as you guys know, the Land Rover might look the same, but there's eight different ways to build the axle. And there's just all these variables that even just the pure Land Rover side, and then you're incorporating a GM engine and then you're incorporating some modern technology with the audio. And it's just, uh, we put dual air conditioning systems in, in 110s. And that's, AC is one of the hardest, that's a challenging thing to they, do and do it right. They were not designed for AC. That was not the, the original plan. And yeah. plus, they were hand-built originally. So why not continue the tradition? How well, modern do you typically get with your builds? Are you, it sounds like you're keeping just two defenders, which would technically take us to 2016. But are you doing any discoveries yet? Or are you thinking about that? 
I, I personally am. But again, my passion would love to see some discoveries. We have experienced. Rob's done them over the years in full restorations. Went to call him. He doesn't love working on them, so he might go back to England if I tell him we're working on discos. What about Rangy so Classics? I was just talking to somebody about this recently. About three years ago, I was we were getting a lot of inquiries for the classics. I mean, people were calling all the time. Do you build, do you build them? And my team wasn't as large, so I was really trying to keep us focused. And we have a capability. And again, we've done them, but I'm just not seeing the demand anymore. I honestly haven't seen people reaching out, and it's fine. Like I, I pre, I'm going to drive one home tonight. Oddly enough, uh, we have one in for service. We just had to chase a power draw for a client, and it ended up being the the light under the the hood there, the bonnet. But yeah, I haven't seen a lot of demand. I personally, love, I prefer Disco One build. I think those would be a ton of fun. You know, I drive one. I know where they can improve. And the LS engine would be a phenomenal one in there. The Defender one, the, the Defenders, we take the most modern. So we'll do a Puma Dash. We'll do dual air conditioning. We'll do every modern amenity on the inside. Of, again, understanding what the client actually wants to use and putting that in there, not trying to overdo it. At the end of the day, we're building, these are custom built for clients. So we like to understand how they use their vehicle and build around it. We all use it differently. I don't use CarPlay in any car I get in. I use my cell phone if I need anything, but some people need, want that. So we want these people using them. We're not building show cars. Our cars are being driven. They all have a different mission. So it's fun to understand what are we doing, whether we've got trucks in Alaska, Hawaii, the mountains, the beach. So it's fun to understand how people are going to use them and then build around that. Do you find that your clientele that actually come for a series vehicle, are they coming from defenders or modern ones, or are they actually coming from something completely different? One of the things yeah. I noticed back in the 90s was people at the time when they were buying the defenders would also be interested to go backwards and get into the series vehicles. I wonder if that's still a, still true or not. Yeah, a little bit of that. To be honest, mo yeah, most of them are coming with the intention of, hey, I want to buy a Defender because I know all these, there are a lot of people building custom Defenders, right? And they come with that idea. Then once they start learning what we're doing with this series and then we can get to a similar place from a driving perspective, you get these amazing clients that really want to want to connect with the old school, but you want something you're going to drive. Like we've got a client in Charleston that daily drives a, the series at the level I discussed, his last car for the last decade has been a 911. It's a nice car, right? And that's a car he daily drives. He does probably 20 minute drive every day to his gym out here and stuff like that. He's picking people up at the airports. But the night, the biggest compliment after he, he had that car for a few months was that he, instead of taking a phone call on that 20 minute drive to the gym and, and maybe squeezing in a work call, he puts his phone in the center console and he just drives his car, which is fun because it's such a fun <laughs> drive it, which sounds silly, but I know me personally, between here and home, I'm probably going to do a couple phone calls and I go into my house with that kind of energy. And maybe it's not the greatest thing. So it's a nice way for people to disconnect. I think some, some people owned a Defender 20 years ago and they want to get back into that, but maybe something a bit more refined. So that, and that's where we do get some clients that have owned them before. What about automatic versus manual? Are you doing a lot of converting to automatics or are folks still driving the manuals? There's not a lot of people in this country that want to drive manuals. Uh, not a lot of people in this country that know how. Yeah. <laughs> I will do my best to teach my daughters how to drive a manual. That's on my list as a dad. But yeah, that's a massive reason. People Obviously, there's not a lot of automatic defenders there or Land Rovers out there. So people want automatics. We get there a couple of different ways. We'll do 300 TDI conversions with an automatic, whether it be an 88. We install 300s in there. 
or we'll do on a defender. You just lose some of that power. So it's not always the nicest. Get some vibration and things like that. Most people, if you're going with the modern engine, they are going with automatics. The six, we do a six-speed automatic on our LS. But there's been a handful that have done manuals, and I'll tell you, they're a ton of fun. We shipped one to, to Massachusetts, an 88 with an LS, and that had a five-speed manual, if I remember correctly. And that truck was just so much fun to drive. That was the one I got the chills coming down this road. You know, I just, I love driving a manual, just a ton of fun, but a lot of times we're building something for the whole family to drive. I'm thinking that way. You might want something to just throw the keys to anybody and they can jump in and go. What about TD5s? Have you considered, or do you get customers asking to put TD5s? I know they're no, coming I mean, due, I think on the import side. Yeah, they're right there. 98 now with the imports and they're starting to bleed over for, I guess next year now, but we haven't partially... I rely on our subject matter experts, and I'll say from a pure Land Rover perspective, I'm going to rely on Rob's opinion. Rob's been restoring and servicing Land Rovers for a long time. He does not like the TD5 from a service perspective. He like that. He will love the TDIs. He's daily driving a TDI now is his U.S. car. He's got a Defender 90 with a 300 in it, and he tells me every morning what a, what a beautiful car that is. <laughs> nice. He also has an F-150 that we've given him, which he also thinks is the greatest car that's ever been built. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have those over there. But uh, yeah, the 300, the 200s and the 300s have been the sweet spot for us. We'll see about the TD5s. I mean, I have never driven one personally. So obviously you don't see a lot of those here in the US. I'm sure you'll start seeing them and people have their opinions. We do the Cummins turbo diesel, the R2.8, which is a great modern engine for if you want a turbo diesel. But as I've learned about that engine at some level, a 300 TDI is, kind of, is comparable from a driving perspective especially if you want a manual transmission. If it's my car and I'm going a diesel, I'm going a 300 TDI. Well, the 300 TDI is easier to keep cool. That's one thing about it compared to the Cummins. Yeah, the Cummins has had its challenges and there's a lot of technology in there. I've got, a a of- I've got a Cummins in my 130, so I have a lot of firsthand with it. Yeah, so the, the, we've had successful installations of them, but it's, just, it's a loud engine for what they're worth. I like I loud. <laughs> yeah, if you like, if when we talk about clients, I always say, if you love a turbo diesel, I love the sound of a turbo diesel. I love when that the turbo actually, actually is quieter than the 300 TDI that came in the 130. So I, I can't complain. Listen, you can you have like a it. conversation at 70. There's nothing wrong with that. That's pretty good. Yeah. But can't diesel. complain with that. No, they've been good, but yeah, I, I like the TDIs. So I'm wondering, because I things I've been hearing, it sounds like you're able to make your defenders watertight. You mean the your driver foot doesn't, doesn't get wet? That is one of our things that's heavily on our quality checklist as we're doing these is, is water testing. So there's, yeah, there's some, we put a lot of attention to that. We do a lot of attention to insulation and with Dynamat and Dynafoam and getting these cabins as quiet, as comfortable as possible. And that's the reality of the product we're building. And that's the expectation, especially when you think about the 110. And when we build a custom 110, a lot of people are coming from a modern SUV, which is a tall order, as you guys know, mm-hmm. knowing what it actually is. And we have a client that's maybe never driven a Defender, a stock one. So there's a, it's a challenge to, if you don't understand what we're starting with and then where we're going. So sometimes when people come here, if they haven't driven one before, we'll jump in an old one and go down the road just so we can get a sense of, I'll give a baseline of, hey, where's where we're starting? And Land Rover, of course, would they'd be okay with some maybe some gaps in the doors and seeing daylight and that sort of thing. So a funny story, at least I think it is, but Rob's dad, he was an overnight shift in, in the factory in Sully Hall, and he was a part of, I think it was rectification or some official name for his job. 
But one of the things he would do is say a bulkhead was out in, in the uh, factory on a build. They had a pole wrapped in rope and they would bump, drive the car into the pole just to tweak the uh, the bulkhead back. <laughs> Level of engineering I, with Land Rover has been unbelievable. It makes you wonder how they survived all this time sometimes. The, the things that they did or how they did them. The reality is that everybody did it that way 50 years prior. That's a good point. That's also one of the reasons why they had to stop making the, the, the Defender because it was hand-built. Even up until 2016, there was still a lot of hand-building going on. Yeah, it's part of the charm, really. Yes. You know, I think if you don't, at any level, even if we're building the, the craziest custom one with all the features, you still have to understand you're not buying a production car. Even if this is still a Defender body, you got to be into that. You got that, that, that feel of being tight to the door and sitting up very tall. It's a unique vehicle to drive. So if you're coming looking for something that's a Range Rover, but better, you really have to embrace the, the pure side of it too, because it will be better. It'll drive better, but they are still a Land Rover at its core which I love. And have you got, what do you guys think of the, uh, the new Defender? Have you driven it? Nice. I just don't think it should be called Defender. <laughs> yeah. I've driven one dealership, lent me a 110 for the day and drove it about and so on. It's as a modern car, it's actually filled and checks a lot of boxes and such. I agree with Harold as a discovery, it would have been a solved all their poor discovery sales at this point in time. Personally, I would have done it better or differently for a Defender. But my concern about the new Defender is going to be out of warranty. What's it going to be like? Because British Rover, Land Rover, JLR is historically as British Leyland. And the reputation on some of the quality hasn't really been there. Some vehicles, LR3s, have turned out to be quite good. But where is this one going to be? And I didn't Especially with Freelander. all those computers. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think the software is going to be a, a quite interesting aspect there in the long run i have a diesel audi right now and when it comes time to replace that if the defender was in a diesel and it was actually had a warranty that was competitive it'd certainly be something to consider at this point in time i don't think anyone can go and make a judgment on it still having supply issues and chips and has caused them certainly a lot of problems and they're still digging out from under that will that's going to impact them for a number of years I'm, a, I'm, of course, Greg, of the other side of the coin of it's a Land Rover, it's a Defender, I've driven them on-road, off-road, wonderful, capable, you can have a conversation, it'll keep you warm, it'll keep you dry, it's very nice. I, I think the problem for many folks is it was a great adjustment, it was more of a revolution than an evolution because they didn't do the development that they could or should have done over the years. That's yeah. my general take on it. No, they're great. They're great cars. I've only been in them a little bit. And I agree that it's a nice modern SUV. Yeah. From a design perspective, I was pleasantly surprised that the, for me, the dash was the nicest part. I mean, in, when I got in the car, it was very evident. You could see the inspiration from the old da Defender dash. It's interesting now with the Land Cruiser coming out, that kind of looks similar. These cars that are like, now it's going to blur the lines a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. And then we, we work with a great, Land Rover dealer in Canada and talking about how they're rebranding and they're some level they're dropping Land Rover, which is interesting. Oh yeah. Like That's moving to the trust mark and going to your different family names. It's they've one of the dealers here in Pittsburgh, they've already dropped the Jaguar logo because it's just going to be a text uh, for the vehicle. It's just going to be Jaguar and they're dropping all other logos. Yeah. It'll be essentially three separate brands, Defender, Range Rover, and, Discovery. discovery and yeah and then you stroll back to you have the discovery problem 
that's for that's for JLR to solve, and they're working on it. About the future for Himalaya, are you looking at uh, electric conversions or uh, any other significant future changes or interesting uh, builds? Yeah, we've we've done a one ten, an electric one ten, and for me, I think think about it, I do. I know a lot of people have gotten on the bandwagon doing electric, and I'll, I'll do it confidently once we find a, a good supplier from an EV perspective. For us, the GM products, one of the reasons we love them is not only the GM product itself, but our supplier is phenomenal when it comes to warranty and service, and they're very predictable engines, and we're setting our clients up for success. Going back to that serviceability item, there's just so many built EV companies now. Until we get the right partner or, or until maybe GM really starts producing a kit, I think that at that point we'd be more comfortable, but I try to be a, I don't want to get a client overly excited about you know, doing EV as, as it involves so much every day. I do think a series or any soft top, a Defender 90 soft top, beach truck, or something with low miles expectations. I don't think you'd want to go in the back country somewhere with an EV car. At least I wouldn't, but for the right use case, I think it'd be a ton of fun. Here in Charleston, we drive a lot of golf carts are a thing here. You could take them on the roads and stuff like that. If that you, I didn't know. You can drive golf carts on the road? And go out to dinner on a golf cart wow. and do your thing. It was tons of fun. But if the idea of doing that in, in an 80-inch series, yeah, that'd be a that'd be a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Way cool. Yeah. But no, right now we're really focused on production. We're really focused on the committed orders we have. We've got a lot of orders. We're booked up for a few years and we want to focus on getting as efficient as possible. And there's always room for improvement there. Supply chains is always a challenge for what we you know, building land rovers in the US. There's some complexity to that. So the more we can get that process dialed in, put the right people in place, we'll be hiring more people. Supply chain is such a big item for us. And we have to train almost everyone on our process when they come here because they're not going to get someone off the street that's been doing what we do necessarily. So that, that's our focus. And then we'll, we've got some amazing builds booked. A lot of series, a lot of defenders and six by six and that sort of thing. In the next couple of years, we'll, we'll be churning out some beautiful trucks. We have plans to grow. My brother and I have aspirations for the business, and we'd like to get up to about 50 trucks a year will be the goal. How long does a typical build take? The build process, say if you came and ordered one right now with the, the back order and the time, we would, for an 88, for example, would be 14 to 16 months. Okay. Can you come build with your time. own vehicle, or is it? Or are you always going th- using one of yours? We can do both, of course, but primarily I'd say... of the people that we work with don't have a vehicle. So we handle the whole process. They really come with an idea. Okay, I want to build a Defender. And we narrow in on the body style. We narrow in on the drivetrain. We have several different levels. And as we move up the scale, more and more of a modern take. The top end of what we do, we've re-engineered the chassis. We've gone to a four-length coilover suspension. We put it on Dynatrack axles. We worked with Brembo and designed a braking kit. And uh, it's just a really modern platform from that perspective. That's where we start getting into the LT4 and some of these supercharged setups a little more comfortably, in our opinion. Just different levels, again, depending on what the client ultimately wants to use it for. Does it change the time frame any if they supply the truck? To some degree, depending on the condition of the vehicle. And a lot of it's just where we're at with already committed orders. And I think I try to be want to be conservative when giving that answer at this point, because we're fortunate where we have a lot of demand. Essentially, we can choose our pro- our projects and clients to work with because it's a it's a partnership on both ends. There's got to be trust on both sides. We're in a good position there. I think some people might say like we could build you a car in six months. I don't think personally you can build anything from scratch in six months unless you had the parts right in front of you and a couple of people to work on it. You could certainly do that. 
to the level we want to do it. I just want to give enough time for the process. But it's a fun experience because the client can come at any point. So whether it's coming, you don't have to come design your Land Rover. We can go out back. We can pick a rusty old 88. It's got, we just did one at the old lumber company sign on the door and the client got to see that. And so they took a couple of pieces off that we weren't going to use. And then we strip all that galvanized off and sandblast it, re-galvanize it. And you get to see that process, which is part of the reason you do something like what we do is for the experience of it. You get to design the vehicle and in the end of it, it's your vision. And then you get to meet some of the subject matter experts along the way, whether it's talking about electrical or mechanical with Rob or paint with Trevor or, or upholstery with Zach and Demetrius. There's, it's a neat experience. And the best part is for us is when people come at the end of the process and they come drive their car for the first time, and maybe we're road testing, we can make adjustments based off how they like their steering feel brakes. It's you, know, you probably something different than I like our last client. We moved his accelerator pedal over an inch because the way with his foot and his ankle. So there's right. that level of customization is a lot of fun for us. We're passionate about building here in the U S it's tempting. It's not really, but you can see the draw to that most companies build them in Europe and finish them here. Cause it's just easier to do. You can get parts the same day. If you needed that weird gasket for a crew cab, you could get that. For us, we got to wait a week, and uh, that slows things down. But it's just a different experience. So we're passionate about that, keeping it here in the U.S. Greg, thanks very much for talking to us today about Himalaya. I, I need to add 4 by 4 or something on the end of that. It's just Himalaya that needs a little, little more oomph. But thanks for coming on the program today. We appreciate it. I always love the opportunity to carve out some time to talk about Land Rovers. So I appreciate it. Big fan of your show. I was digging into your podcast and stuff like that. So it's been uh, been fun. Crazy to think you've been doing it for 10 years now. Is that right? It, it has been 10 years, April of this year. Yeah, we purposely started in April. 10 and a half was, now as of this month. Oh, really? Wow. You guys still like each other? Yeah, we all got together at the Jubilee. It was, it was the first time in ever, I think, we were all together at the ever. same point. Yeah, it was the first yeah. time. Exactly. Yeah, that was great. I give you guys a compliment. I was at, and I'm forgetting the name, it was the old Peterborough show in England. In September. LRO, that was LRO owners, isn't it? Is that the one? Yeah. yeah. I think so. A lot of great things going on. But several people brought up your podcast, by the way. Oh, hmm. that, that was great to hear. Yeah. Very cool. It is. Your podcast. Nice. Here we are. I hope when they brought it up, it was in good a good way. Not Those ignorant of, Yankees think they know what they're talking about. I couldn't understand what they were saying, but I did know that they said something about the Center Steer podcast. So. <laughs> Let's go with it was a good thing. Yeah, positive stuff. Positive stuff. There's no such thing as bad publicity, as they say. Where can folks uh, find you on the on the internet if they're interested in checking out what what Himalaya has to offer? On Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, if you're of the younger generation, you'll find us on at Drive Himalaya and DriveHimalaya.com for our website. We're going to be doing some. We're going to be expanding what we're doing on YouTube for so for those that. Want to get a little bit more into the details, not just the aspirational videos of a cool lander rolling down the road. We're going to do some more long form videos, which I'm excited about this year. And then we're doing a, an event in December in Charleston, our hometown, just a, a Land Rover gathering. If you're in the general area, we'd love to have you. It's not a bad place to get out of the cold for you guys. If you want to come south, it's a, a quick <laughs> flight, breeze area. Give them a shout out. Oh, you got to drive down. That's a better way you to do it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I'm moving you into the rover porn category because you, you, all your builds and all the video <laughs> and all the everything, it's just so well done. I think if you're just 
looking for that aspirational, you want to reconnect with Land Rover a little bit. Maybe it's yours is not uh, doing well at the moment. You're like, pull up Himalaya and, and check out Rover porn. <laughs> Hope that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. We'll have the patina stuff and the nicely painted. That's a little bit for everybody. Whatever you we'll have it. My only complaint, there's no Freelander. There's no Freelander, yeah. <laughs> Only the Discovery first, so... Anyone listening wants to restore a Discovery One. Well, yeah. We're in. You you need to import one from the UK. They started in what ninety six, so we're ninety eight, ninety six, ninety eight. So it's close to your close to your cutoff time. Okay, yeah, we bring in containers often, so we'll, I'll bring that up with Rob next. Doing Freelander. <laughs> Thanks again, Rob. Appreciate you coming on. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed show number one twenty seven. Thanks to our guests this month, Christian Herman and Greg Shondell for talking with us this month. I recommend you go out and check out uh, Christian's YouTube page. He has a walk arounds and more about his adventures going on there. Of course, we'll have a link in the show notes to his YouTube. And thanks to the One True Packs for his continued production support. And thanks to Harold, Morgan and Dixon, even though he couldn't make it today. Thanks for having me as always. Up there in wonderful Vermont. I just have to add one thing really quickly, and that is that this month has slipped by so quickly. And because it was so nice, here we are at the end of October. All the Class 4 roads are closed to traffic coming November 1st. And I haven't gotten out on any of them. And the weather is still ideal for <laughs> getting out on them. So they don't uh, need to be closed. It's just, it's just a calendar thing. Yeah, because typically by November, there's enough of a, a frost has hit, at least in, in the higher elevations, that they just don't want people up there tramping around. So perhaps with climate change, they might start to relax that date a little bit. Yeah, and I, the other part of it is that a lot of the Class 4 roads get shared with, like, VAST, the uh, snowmobile trail network and stuff like that. So mm. they get to a period where they just don't want people in vehicles in areas where the snowmobiles will be out shortly and are prepping trails and stuff. Plus, I suspect with, with hunting season, they don't want people up there driving around getting shot at. That's a big part of it, too, for sure. And there are plenty of people who live off of these Class 4 roads, so they're still accessible to residents, but a large portion are like camps. Do the police patrol the, those Class 4 roads, or is it just if they happen to find you there or you call because you're going to need recovered or something, then they... Ticket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If somebody were to report you, yeah, they don't patrol. There are certain class four roads. There's one that I highly suggest people take, which is the natural turnpike, which is just a absolutely beautiful drive. I like the name. Uh, but they, yeah, exactly. Do you pay your toll uh, in acorns? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but just from the squirrels throwing them at you. <laughs> The, the squirrels have opposable thumbs? I guess I should say dropping them on you. <laughs> Whoa, okay, um, gotcha. They're that smart. Yeah. Perhaps if they gripped it on a line. I'll now add a link in the show notes to the Natural Turnpike. It's a scenic route running from South Lincoln to Breadloaf, Vermont, also known as Forest Route 54 or Southern Lincoln Road. It offers sweeping views of the major northern Green Mountain peaks like Mount Grand, Mount Wilson, Breadloaf and Boyce Mountain. The scenic route is a smooth gravel route with easy curves that make it a delightful drive.
Yeah, it's really just a dirt road, but this is one of the ones that they gate off. And it's also part of, it runs through part of the northern section of the Green Mountain National Forest. So it's also forest land. So they that's another reason that they gate this particular one off. And that's thanks to Andy Arthur. We'll credit him with those words. So we have three days to go check it out. Yes. <laughs> Actually, no days, because by the time this comes out, it'll already it'll have been passed. It'll have a couple hours, exactly. maybe. We post a new podcast at the end of every month. Our website, centersteer.com, has our shows, past shows to listen to, and also show notes with links for the stories we discussed in today's podcast. You can directly support the podcast at patreon.com slash centersteer. You can buy a t-shirt, sticker, or even buy us a tea slash brown water. Visit our website for all those details. And if you have an idea for a guest, send us the details and the contact information if you have it. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you and what you're up to in your Land Rover. On behalf of the entire crew here at the Center Steer Podcast, I'd like to thank you all for listening today. We know you have a choice when it comes to your podcast content, and we do appreciate your choosing us. Please take a moment to look around you for any personal items you may be leaving behind, especially in the overhead bins. Remember, some items may have shifted during the show. Please watch your step on the way out, and you may now resume your important things. When you dropped the oil, it's not a problem. When no more dropped the oil, then I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs>